Friday, November the 18th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone's having a, a nice week as we get prepped for the weekend. We're going to talk some NFL Week 11 with Eric. We'll get into some Saturday best bets for Gulfstream and for Del Mar. And then we'll get to Andor episode Evan 11. Episode Evan. Episode 11, the scene by scene deep dive. We won't do a full wrestling segment this week. Uh, Chad Cooper had uh, some family stuff to deal with, but what we will do is next week we'll recap AEW Full Gear because they have the big pay-per-view coming up this weekend, and we'll also preview Survivor Series. So next week we'll be able to hit on everything. We just won't get you a Full Gear preview quite as much, but we'll we'll touch base on everything next week. Hope all is well with Coop and the family. So we'll get to NFL game previews, some best bets for Saturday, Gulfstream and Del Mar, and then Andor with Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster. Episode 11, the scene-by-scene deep dive on this episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by Better Than Vegas. Give them a follow at BTV Bets and check out the live stream schedule. There will be game previews every day during the World Cup. I'm looking forward to previewing games. Um, I'll have thoughts on one of the games or sometimes two of the games every day, and it'll start out with the opening game with uh, the home team, Qatar, and Ecuador. So that'll be over at BTV Bets. Give them a follow. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. I do a lot of work with Better Than Vegas. And a little bit of a tease. We will have a full college football preview show over at Better Than Vegas. Give them a follow at BTV Bets. You can find it there. It's free. It's over on Twitter or if you follow uh, their any of the social media accounts on YouTube. Gotta have to start giving out the other social media accounts now. Who knows what's happening with Twitter anymore? Better than dot Vegas is the website. Eric, myself, XFL Jim, we'll talk UCF Navy, Michigan, Illinois, TCU, Baylor, Georgia, Kentucky, Texas, Kansas, Cincinnati, Temple, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Mississippi, Arkansas, USC, UCLA, and Utah, Oregon. Goes on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and then you can watch it anytime afterwards, or you can watch along live if you want some help with the college football weekend, give that a listen. Well, now's the time for some NFL. Eric joins me to talk about all the games for week 11, already up to week 11. So kick back and enjoy as we get you all prepped for every game for NFL week 11. Let's go to Panthers Ravens. You've got the Ravens coming in off a bye. They are a 13 point favorite. Your boy Baker. He's going to be getting the start for Carolina. He knows the Ravens. He's played against them a few times over under in this game, 42. So you have the Ravens coming off a bye, and you had been pointing out how their defense now looks a little bit more complete over the last three games. They've allowed um, the, they have opponents have only converted four of 11 red zone trips into touchdowns over the last three games. Their red zone defense has been fantastic. They've recorded 19 sacks in their last five games. They only had eight in their first four. Much improved defense. The only thing that's been kind of weird with them this year, they haven't been good at home. I think they're 0-4-1 ATS at home. The Panthers won the game. They only threw for 16 times for 108 total yards. It was it's like really tough to be confident in these wide receivers moving forward. Marshall, we like. He actually he hit his over. Right? That was in the 13th, too. 
So I mean, yeah. like, we got so that. that's a good point. That's a good point. And and it's been, it's been hard for them because they've been bouncing back and forth with the quarterbacks a lot. It's been hard to get sort of a rhythm, I think, for either one of them. But yeah, maybe they can get a little more flow because when we saw Baker come in at the end of the game a couple of weeks ago, he he looked better. They controlled the time of possession. They had over 34 minutes time of possession to just 26 for Atlanta. And Foreman ran really well, 130 yards on 31 carries, picked up seven first downs, five missed tackles, four explosive runs. I don't really have a strong opinion in this game one way or the other. Carolina, Baltimore. You know, I'm just looking at it. Lamar is actually 5-2 and two ATS as a double-digit dog. Um, you know, Mayfield, you know, he's 3-5, and five, which is 38%. Small sample size. Covering against the Ravens, 40, 44.8% as a road dog. Um, you know, I everything I do as a gambler tells me to take this double digits. Me too. But I'm just going to be honest. Like, I just don't trust Baker Mayfield with Eddie's I know. That's so year. funny. It's, it, it's, to me, it's got like Baker Mayfield, because that's what's funny is that I love you. Your stubbornness in some points, because if we're having a conversation, there's no way we could actually say that Baker has been worse than PJ looked at the worst of some of his this year. Like Baker overall is probably is a better quarterback. <laughs> I know what you're saying that you don't like him, but I agree with you. It's it's more of like the combination of what I've seen with Baker when he's been playing with these guys. And I don't know if it's the flow or him like, not loving the situation he was in. I think the difference for a guy like PJ is like for PJ, anywhere you go from him, he's going to give you his best. He just, there's just only so much you can get from PJ. Like he has a ceiling, like he can only do so much for you. I felt what PJ has, which what Baker doesn't is a, he's more of a factor in the running game. A little more mobile. And I felt he had somewhat of a connection with Terrence Marshall I feel Baker has no connection with anyone in the wide receiver room. With the and and that and that is fair. I do think that Marshall was someone who started to definitely pop up a lot more once we had a uh, once we had PJ getting the snaps. And this is this is actually pretty crucial, I think, for Baker the next couple of weeks to just look okay. He doesn't have to go out there and win games, but he just has to prove that he can be a quarterback for somebody else, not even like a franchise guy, but just show, hey, if somebody needs a quarterback, I'm okay. If, if he doesn't play well these next few weeks, it's, it's not going to matter. You know, the, it's not going to matter the situations for him the last two times if people say he was hurt and it was a bad situation. This is huge for him just to play well. I just – I don't confidently want to back either side in here. This number is too big, like you were saying. I don't – and the Panthers got a couple extra days, but I need to see a little bit more um, before I would dive in on this game. And I mean, the Panthers – at the end of the day, they're in a real interesting situation. I mean, you got Baker, you got Darnold, you got some talent in this quarterback class. You don't know where you're going to be drafting. And you, you drafted draft- a kid already last year, too. So, I mean, like, <laughs> I kind of feel at some point this season, they do need to see what Darnold brings to the table. They do need to at least give him one to two starts to kind of see what's up. I don't think that's wrong. Yeah, I don't think there's there's anything wrong with that. Let's talk about Bears and Falcons next Eric, uh, so we have the line that we're looking at, Bedfred Sports. Falcons minus three over under 49 in here. Bears plus the three. Talk to us about Bears-Falcons. Just seems, it just seems trappy, dude. It just seems yeah. trappy to take the Bears right here. Um, I know. You know so Falcons- the, Bears have won, uh, the Bears have scored 29 points in three straight games and lost all three of those. That's the first time in NFL history a team has scored 29 and three in a row. And lost all three of them. It's, I mean, 
Falcons their defense like is run. miserable. Yeah, their defense is awful. Falcons like to run the ball. Bears are going to struggle. I was looking at PFF. PFF grades the Falcons offensive line over – no, excuse me, the Falcons offensive line over the Bears defensive line as the best matchup this week in terms of a run game. I really feel that the Bears are going to struggle to stop the Falcons rushing attack. Um, the Lions did something interesting last week. They had two guys spying on Justin Fields. Um, Dean P is veteran guy, been around the block. I think he's going to have a game plan to kind of stop Fields, keep Fields contained. Uh, well, and the no- thing is, the thing is, he the last three games, like I said, he's run the last three games for insane amounts. They've lost. Yeah. Like it's one of those where it's like, it kind of feels like the end in the NBA, like, Hey, we'll let him get his 30, but as long as he doesn't have 25 and 12 assists and a bunch of rebounds and totally dominates the game, then we're good. Right. It's kind of like that with him. Yeah. He's, I rewatched the game. He's awful quick in my eyes to take it down and just run. Oh yeah. And the last few weeks it's been working so well for him. That's why he's he's doing it. And you can see they're limiting his feet. They're not having him read the whole field. It's half. It's two reads. and It's not their run. And I'll be honest from what I saw, it was one read that I'm running. He's not going through his progressions. And like, I, he's putting up good numbers, but in terms of like processing the field as a quarterback, he's still behind the eight ball. Yeah. It's a nice, it's a nice step forward. Yeah. Let's say this. They're way, way better and in better shape than they were five weeks ago. But what ends up happening, everybody jumps on the bandwagon very quickly, right? Like you're talking about the Packers. And so everybody sees this in this team and they're going to, oh, the Bears are playing so well, which they are. But again, keep in mind, they've lost all three of these games in a row with these big dominant offensive performances. And to be fair, like two of them were games they should have won. Like last week, they were favored in that game. They're up by 14. They have no excuses. Missed extra point, nine penalties for 86 yards. They got a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. And you're an awesome running team that has run for 225-plus yards in five straight games, and you couldn't put the team away. It's unacceptable. No, I mean, that that's the game you're supposed to win there. And, you know, Fields, like we can mention his incredible numbers – 147 yards rushing. He also had 167 yards passing, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. So since week six, he has 555 rushing yards. That's the most for any quarterback in any five-game span in the Super Bowl era. That 67-yard run was just awesome. (laughs) As I'm not a Bears fan, but Bears fans should be pretty excited right now. You have some high draft capital. And honestly, the best thing that the Bears can do is keep losing these games so they're going to have a higher draft pick mm-hmm. and yep. their pick of offensive tackle or defensive lineman. Um, and then you have $110 million in cap room. They're in a, they're in such a phenomenal place. It's insane. And you just want to keep have them keep playing, keep developing. But he does need to learn how to process the field better, go totally through agree. all the questions before he like puts his He's not there down. yet. He's not there yet. Nice step forward. But this feels like one of those games where what we've seen from the Falcons lately, everybody's going to be off them. Because remember, they started the season so good against the spread. They Things looked really great for them. And now the last couple of weeks, 
they they have not looked good. That was a bad game for them last week against Carolina. That was a game that they should have played a lot better. Um, and and the problem is like Mariota since week six on on passes of twenty plus yards, he is one of eleven with two interceptions, and the one was a, a seventy five yard touchdown uh, on a bomb to bird right before halftime when they were already down big against the Bengals. It was like a garbage time Hail Mary right before the half. That was the only 20 plus yard completion they've had since week six. Again, you can be a fantastic running team, but when you're this like compare the bears and the Falcons, right? Mariota isn't as good of a runner as fields and he's not throwing the ball at all either. So now it's become really easy to defend this Falcons team but this is a spot for them. Uh, this really is. London had a little bit better game than it looks on paper. He had seven targets, five catches, but just 38 yards and a touchdown. He did catch all three of his contested catch opportunities. Pitts was targeted eight times, two catches, 28 yards. They got to get these guys involved a little bit more. I know that they want to be a running team and just hand the ball off, but you got to get creative. Like You can't call a couple screens for London or Pitts. You know what I mean? Just like a few... like. Just a couple screens, wide receiver screen, like get him in a little bit of space and and let him go one on one with someone out in the open. If they're packing the box against you, I I think it's a good it's a good Falcon spot, right? I don't know it's if I want to play it, but I would, anything, I'm leaning Falcons. Less than three, I'm going to look to get in. It's a very DFS spot. Um, in terms of like Montgomery's a little underpriced this week. I think he's a Herbert, mind of a right. Game. You got put on IR. Yep, Herbert's on IR. Um, I think Claypool still has legs. I think he's a little undervalued. You have to remember that the Falcons are without both starting DBs, so I think uh, Claypool could be worth a dart throw. Um, And just keep in mind, the last few weeks, Fields has run so much, it's taken a little bit away from everybody else. He's not going to rush for 150 yards every game. No. It's just not going to happen. I, I, I think this is a huge... David Montgomery. PC. Me too. I completely agree. I love Montgomery this week. He's one of my, uh, he's going to be one of my leans in, in all sorts of DFS stuff. Totally agree with you. So we're both leaning Falcons. We might make that one of our plays. I, I'm going to, I'm going to personally let do what you did. I think this number, I know it's, it's, it's minus three minus minus one twenty. So it doesn't look like it, but I guess if you like the Falcons, maybe you take it now. Cause it might be moving the other direction. Right. I just, I feel personally like it's going to get more Bears action, but the number doesn't look like that right now. The number, I think it's going to get, I was looking at it earlier. There's a ton of bets on the Bears, but not as much money. So I think, I think it's going to move. I think it's only a matter of time before it moves. It wouldn't surprise me. It gets down to two and a half? Okay. So we'll wait and see if we can get a better number on that one. It doesn't. And you can, if the Bears score early, you can live bet it. I mean, that's the great thing about the way the market is now. Oh, let's see. I saw a couple. I'm looking on my app. A couple three and a halfs are starting to pop. So maybe you do want to lock in the three. Yeah. So yeah, keep an eye on that in the next day or so. Like if you really like Atlanta right now, maybe a three isn't bad to take. Uh, if you're on the Bears, you know you wait a little bit because then you could probably pop that three and a half. Let's get to Browns and the Bills. So the oh that Bills. Vikings game last week wasn't that just another Vikings typical Vikings win the way that they've been doing it all year long so okay so I need a vent okay like everybody says oh that was such a great game that game was awful that game was so sloppy I agree six turnovers Delvin Cook had a surefire walk-in touchdown 
he drops. I have no idea what Allen was doing on that interception. On top of that, you have Allen who just needed to fall forward. He literally just needed to fall forward and he didn't do it. Was that game entertaining? Wildly entertaining. Sure. Was the game well played? No. It was and an Minis- awfully played game. Minnesota is 17th DVOA. This is not like a very good football team and they keep winning games. So, you know, last week, and we're talking about the bills because the bills are playing the the Browns. This is our next game that we're discussing. Uh, Bills are an eight point favorite in this game over under 41 and a half. So the bills come up with a big stop late in the game. They get the ball in the one yard line. Like you said, Allen fumbles, the Vikings get the fumble, score a touchdown. The Bills had a higher DVOA for the game despite losing the game. They outgained the Vikings on a per-play basis. They had a much higher success rate on offensive plays. 55% of their plays were graded successful. 41 were graded successful for Minnesota. The Vikings also recovered all four fumbles in the game. And, And then really what happened was late in the fourth quarter, Jefferson just was the best player on the field for about a drive or so, and nobody could stop him. So many of those things had to happen for Minnesota. And I'm not like the bills have their problems too, right? The bills got some issues going on. They're, they're not right. They're not perfect. Right. I'm not trying to say they're perfect. The secondary is injured and it's definitely showing with what, what's going on. Cause they literally couldn't stop anything. And I know like with how the game is, it's hard to stop quote unquote, stop people. But the reality of the situation is, is if you just kind of look at their offense, you know, how many, touchdowns they've gotten in the second half in the last four games they have not they've scored last three games excuse me they have not scored a touchdown in the second half in the second half last three games last and in all three of those games josh allen has multiple interceptions for the first time in his career it's which which brings me to my first future josh allen most interceptions Plus five fifty. Yeah, I mean he's just flinging the ball around still, and the and the issue is they can't run without him. We've talked about it. Like as a team, here's their fourth quarter rushing this year. Rushing in the fourth quarter as a team this year, sixty six carries, two hundred and seventy yards, two touchdowns, just three point one yards per rush. If you take away Allen, forty five rushes for one hundred and fifty four yards in the fourth quarter. Last week as a team, they ran 27 times for 175 total yards, 6.5 yards per carry. But 84 of those came from Allen on his six carries, averaging 14 yards per carry. They don't have a running game without him. It just isn't there. Like they tried. They've tried to use different personnel. So, see, I don't think they've tried. Like, I, well, they're, me personally, I don't think they give Cook enough run. Cook in that game was getting over four yards a pop anytime he touched the ball. He only touched it five times. I really think he's their best option. Singletary, it's, he's a little too small for me, but he's better in pass pro. That's why they use Singletary more than Cook. And then what's happened recently is a bad stretch of decision-making for Josh Allen too, right? How many? Yeah. How much of the time is is he the one making the decision, right? Like, is he on – I'm not saying they're running the option, but is it a – Hey Josh, you can keep, you can hand off type thing, right? Because they, I'm sure they get, they have a lot of trust in him right now. But 
they're not perfect. You know, they lead on a game-tying field goal, and those two interceptions, they really hurt. That final drive, though, they go 69 yards, five plays, 35 seconds, they kick a field goal. But in the last two games, four interceptions in the red zone for Allen. In the red zone. Four. In, I mean, all they had to do, they were up 24-10. They have a chance to go up by 17. He throws an interception in the end zone on fourth down, and that kind of flips the game a little bit. Minnesota kicks a field goal to start overtime. The Bills get a ball, the ball with a chance to win the game. They drive it all the way down to the Minnesota 20. It's second and 10. It's not fourth down. Second and 10, and he throws a bad interception. Bad interception to end the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about them making the playoffs or anything. This is like they've had these lulls the last few years, but they're not perfect. And like you said, they're banged up. They haven't scored a second-half touchdown in three straight games. You hit that point already. So, You know, flashback to last year, you know, they had that train wreck of a game in the windstorm at, um, um, oh, my God, against the Jacksonville. No, it's Cleveland. They they played New England. Yes. And after the New England game where they didn't do anything. That was when things flipped a little bit for them. Started to run the ball more. And maybe that's what they'll start to do here. Maybe we'll start to see, you know, a two-headed monster, a singletary and cook getting over 20 carries a game. But how they're playing now is Allen putting up insane fantasy numbers. Yeah. But are they winning games because of it? No. No. So something's definitely got to be addressed in the room. The the issue is with this particular game and like playing it as a spot, you have a Browns team that comes in and man, you and I were on the Browns last week because it was a great spot for the Browns. They come in off a bye, they play a Miami team that I still think is a little overvalued. And this Browns team though, they are 31st in defensive DVOA. They have one of the worst defenses in the league. And last week they had the lowest individual team DVOA of any team in the week. So they had a worse game coming off a bye against a bad Miami defense than Jeff Saturday did in his first game as a head coach. <laughs> like that's where the Browns were last week. I, I can't, I don't have a lot of faith in them right now. And this has got, this to me feels like a Stefanski thing, Eric. I don't know what to do with them. Like I would like to play them in this spot, but I've, I've lost a little bit of faith in the Browns right now for the next few weeks, at least in playing them. Can you get involved on, on them here? No, because you don't know what's going on with the weather. I mean, like, if they get this big snowstorm, naturally it's going to face um, – it's going to help the Browns because the Browns secondary, which we saw in the, um, in the game against Miami, is really struggling right now. And if yep. Garrett's not able to get home, which he wasn't able to get home – against Miami, you're not going to disrupt that passing attack. If it's this huge snow snowstorm, like they're predicting with like 15 feet of snow or whatever, then yeah, then it favors the Browns because the Bills aren't going to be able to take advantage of the passing attack, and they're just going to be able to turn around and hand it off to, um, to Chubb. So interesting spot. Do I want anything to do with the game? No. No. I'm just going to sit back. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to steer clear because even – I do remember like that big – Allen can throw through some of this stuff and they get a little stubborn with it sometimes. But I agree with you. The way that these two teams are built, if it's bad weather, 
I mean, the Browns just feel like that's so much better an option for them, but I just don't understand anything they're doing. Like last week they scored first and then they, they give up 24 unanswered points last week when they're down in the game, they don't even use hunt at all. Like at all. It was bizarre. Like that was, it. I just don't really understand a lot of what Stefanski's doing. I'll wait and see the weather too. And if the weather's really bad and this bumps up to like, I don't know, I could see this thing moving the bills direction, you know, do we get to like nine, nine and a half, ten, maybe even in bad weather? And then is that a jump in spot for me? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Uh, maybe it continues to move that way and we can get a number to play on the Browns. Let's go Lions and Giants. Hey, back to back for those Lions. And you know what? For your team that's lost so many games through the years that they should have or could have won. Doesn't it nice to kind of feel like you might have been on the on the other side of a couple? The last few weeks, like maybe this game was one that you maybe shouldn't have won or, you know, Fields doesn't throw that interception and they don't miss the extra point. But if there's any team that deserves a few of those, it's you guys. It's the Lions. Yes. It's the Lions. Um, <laughs> before, before we jump into this game, real quick, one of the future bets I made, I bet the Giants not going to make the playoffs at plus 300. Uh, per tankathon.com, they have the hardest schedule remaining playing games against teams with a 500 record or above. They have two against the Eagles, two against the Commanders, one against the Vikings, one against the Cowboys, and then two games remaining against losing teams, teams with losing records, the Lions, who are doing better, and the Colts, which seem to remember they have Jonathan Taylor back there. Yeah, that's not a, that's not easy. A couple websites do luck rankings. All the websites, I looked at three of them, have the Giants and the Vikings one, two. You yep. know, one because all orders. of their wins have been by one score. All seven of their Giants wins have, and all of the Vikings wins have been by one score. So, and the Cowboys own the tiebreaker. Um, I don't. I I think that's got legs. So I I locked it in at three hundred plus three three to one. You know, Giants do not make the playoffs. I kind of so like we're that talking bet. Lions Giants here, and your uh, your Lions are a three point dog on the road here. Giants a three point favorite over under in this game is forty five. Hey, that was the first road win of Dan Campbell's head coaching career last week. <laughs> the you know first what? one on the road. Pop the they, champagne. They're playing better off the bye. One thing they're doing is Aaron Glenn, their defensive corner. He's trying new things. He tried, like I said, spying two people with Justin Fields. He's moving Hutchinson around on the offensive line. And we're seeing that's helping because since the bye, he's able to get to the quarterback more. more. He's not just lining up. On the same side, uh, Swift finally got some run. Brown's in there. He's St. Brown. He's looking good. This Giants team, you know, their defense isn't that good. They are primed for an upset. They were trying well, to give their commanders are the, uh, not commanders. They're Titans light. They're very well coached, but they're the type of team that you want to keep betting against, especially when they're favored, especially yeah. when they're laying points. Like that, that's where you try to attack them because they don't have a margin for error. They're just not like a very good football team. They're a well-coached team and a pretty disciplined team and like power to them. You know, they, they've, they're seven and two. They haven't think about this. They have not won seven games since 2016 and they're, and they're seven and two right now. They haven't even won seven overall in six years, like hell of a start for them, you know, and Barkley fantastic. Leads the NFL in rushing 931 yards. He had 35 carries last week. I, like 
that makes me feel good seeing that for the guy after his health, right? Is that too much? Maybe, but that that gives you the signal that he's healthy after what he's dealt with the last couple of years. And and you know what? For Jones, he had a career high passer rating. He's the sixth quarterback in Giants history to have had have had, had that high of a passer rating with 15 plus attempts. He only had to throw the ball 17 times. He was 13 to 17, 197 yards, two touchdowns, 88.7 adjusted completion percentage. His sixth game this year, sixth straight game without an interception. And among quarterbacks with 150 passes or more, he has two. That's tied for first with Brady. He's eighth in QBR, eight points higher than an average. All of his turnovers uh, and the four overall turnovers that are the second fewest among quarterbacks. So power to their coaching staff. They have made all of the, the players they have better. They've made Barkley better. They've made Jones better. They've made all these guys succeed. They're still a little bit overvalued. They're still not that great of a football team. And I completely agree with you. Over the last four weeks, they ranked 27th in pass defense efficiency, passing defensive DVOA. The interior defensive line is pretty good with Leonard and with uh, uh, and with Williams. That's where they're strong. Those two continue to be really, really dominant. Last week, they did a pretty good job against Pierce. Um, 13 of his rushing attempts were five yards or below. Like, they win on the margins, but I don't know if I love, like, do you like the Lions particularly in this spot? Or overall, do you just think the Giants, like, second half of the year are going to probably have a couple of these close games that they lose? I think they're going to have a couple of these close games that you yeah. lose. This line was at three and a half. I missed the three and a half. I thought it was going to go up to four. I thought there's going to still be love for the Giants in the market. If this gets up to three and a half, I'll definitely look to be on the Lions. Is it worrisome about golf on the road? Yeah, it's a little worrisome about Goff on the road. You know, he did look better, but you do have to take it with a grain of salt because it was against the Bears last week. But this Giants defense, like you said, isn't really world beaters. Uh, the Texans were hanging around. They were moving the ball. I believe Goff will be able to move the ball. Um, it looks like DJ Shark is going to be back for the Lions, which is an immediate boost to that offense, getting another weapon. Swift, you know, he did play last week. He's starting to play more and more. But at the end of the day, this three is just a dead number to me. I it want feels accurate. Yeah, it feels where it should be, it like right here. So it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of tough to do anything. So, you know, I'll just kind of sit back, maybe look to play, um, you know, St. Brown and some DFS stuff. But, uh, you know, I want nothing to do with this game pre- pre-flop. And shout out to your Lions. You know, they're down 14. It looked like they threw an interception. That would have ended the game. But it was a penalty on the Bears. And then they are able to score a touchdown on the next play. Following that on the next drive, Fields throws a pass that's a pick six. And all of a sudden, the Lions are down 14 to Tide. And then the Bears miss an extra point. It's like all those things that have always happened to the Lions finally kind of finally help the Lions. And you know what? One of the things that helped them, two penalties for 15 yards. When you play like that, you deserve to win games like that. You have 75 yet less penalty yardage than the team you're playing against. You know what? You deserve to get the breaks in that game when you play a clean game. So shout out to them. St. Brown was big again, 10 catches, 119 yards. And that 91-yard drive to go win the game. How about this stat? The pick six they had, Akuda Matata. Did you hear uh, Berman giving him the Akuda Matata, which I thought was pretty funny. I, I, I thought that was, that was pretty good. But – uh that was the first pick six for the Lions in 60 games. You guys have oh, not wow. had a pick six in 60 games. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So some, some of those are just nuts. But I, I 
man, you guys have one or two more games early in the year that you won. You'd still be right in the mix right now. Things would have to go really well, but damn, one or two more of those early wins, and you'd really feel like you'd have a shot to make a make one of those last playoff spots. Let's get to the Rams and the Saints. So the Rams will be starting Stafford. It looks like he practiced, and I think he's going to be good to go. Uh, Cup will be out. They put Cup on injured reserve. He is done for the year. Talk about two teams that are very disappointed with uh, with how their seasons are, have shaped up so far. The Rams, obviously, your Super Bowl champs. Last week, they had to start a backup quarterback, as did Arizona. But Arizona, backup quarterback with Colt McCoy, just looked way more prepared. He's he's a veteran. I mean, he started games before, but it's 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 so tough to think positively about the what the Rams can do on offense when Cooper Cup accounted for 35% of their catches this year. That's the highest mark by any player on any team. He was second in the league with 75 receptions and 812 yards. He's a top five graded wide receiver by PFF. But, I mean, the drop-off between Cup and the rest of their wide receivers is astronomical. Like, Allen Robinson is their number one option now. Maybe Higby has a big game, sure. But the, the problem for them, Eric, all year really has been the offensive line, injuries, and some players that they were hoping that, that were going to be better than they are, a little bit of both. They just can't run the ball. They're 30th in rushing offense DVOA. So this year, there have been 227 times when a player has run for 50 yards. Think about that. Some games, teams have had two or three guys run for 50 yards, right? You have multiple running backs and probably a quarterback run for 50 yards, like the Ravens or the Bears, some of them. The Rams, twice this year, two out of 227 times they've had a player run for 50 yards. That's not even a hundred. We're talking 50 yards. Yeah. That's it's just a McVay team that low is just mind boggling to me. Um, the way they built their team for the last few years, it finally caught up with them because yeah, they, they don't got, have the depth. That's that's what they wanted. They got what they wanted. They got the Super Bowl. You paid for it. You know what I mean? And you got gotta it. hope you win it. And they did. And they so did. you know what? So it's not a failure, but this is what happens right after a lot of the times because. And you lose T people that, you know, back them to injury, Whitworth to retirement, you know, this, you know, then you lose cup for four games. Cause he went on IR. I mean, they're not making the playoffs. No, um, you know, regroup, move on to next year. Um, in terms of the game, I look at it like this, this line tells me that they, they're not a hundred percent sure Stafford's playing. Cause it's three and a half. I know, and it, it it moved up a little bit, didn't it? I think. Yeah. So it that's it's really hard. Which it to know which is so weird because we're recording on Wednesday night, and it's like mm-hmm. they put Cooper Cup on IR today, but they said that Stafford practice in full today. I, like I would have no. I'm a Rams fan. I know it. You don't want to do this. You have still a lot of the season left. If if Stafford didn't play a game the rest of the year, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind either. Just if they shut the both of them down, but but I agree with you. Like, why even have the? Re- if that's the case, like, why even practice the guy? Like, why even have him out there and practice and like have it said? I agree. The numbers, the numbers moving like it's not a Stafford number. I, if if Stafford's playing, and this is more than a field goal, I don't care if Cooper Cup's playing. I would I would still play the Rams just because I don't. Lo- 
do we know who's going to play for the the Saints? Is, are they going to move to Winston yet? Have they made that announcement? No, it's Dalton. because and and that's the problem because Dalton has been miserable the last few games overall. They were three of twelve on third downs. They lost time of possession by more than seventeen minutes to the Steelers. They yeah. ran for just twenty nine yards. They only passed for one hundred and seventy four yards. Olave and Kamara, their two weapons. They only combined for nine targets. Like, how do you only get those guys nine targets in the game? If you told me they had every target, I wouldn't have been surprised between the two of them. Like, every one was either Olave or or back at Kamara. And it's hard. Like, it's been hard to get a feel for this team all year because they've been decimated by injuries. You know, they've been yeah. decimated by injuries all over. Probably dealt with injuries more as much as as about anyone offensive and defensive side of the ball. Last week, they had a 7% success rate running the ball. 7%. And the Steelers had a 47%. So you're not even, one of your 10 rushes isn't even successful. And Pittsburgh's successful every other run. They're getting five yards a clip. Every other run, five yards a clip. I don't really have a strong opinion in this game. But if we do find out it's Stafford and it's over three, I mean, I would lean Rams. Oh, you have to leave Rams. You have to leave Rams here. That's that's what I would that's what I would do. Um, you know, kind of a sneaky play. Someone who's having like a very quiet season, Jawan Johnson. You know, yes, thank you. I'm glad you mentioned him. You know, he's having a really good season. Um good, like low, like he's never gonna be someone that you have to spend up a whole lot on DFS, right? Like that's a good low level dark throw on DFS. Eight points a game. You know, he scored 82 on a year. He's tight end 11 on the season. Um, I, you know, he's always someone you can always kind of count on to to produce. So uh, that's a good DFS guy. I've used him a couple leagues, like when I've had uh, when I've had a buy. So other than that, there's really nothing like in this game I really want to be a part a part of. Um, kind of a wasted season in my eyes for the Saints. God, this next game is a weird one because. Uh... I, I just do not think much of the Patriots at all. Well, like I really like for me, this is it. Like what this is how I looked at the game. And I and I bet the Patriots, okay? Two weeks ago, the Patriots played at the Jets, and what was the line? Patriots minus three. Then the Jets beat the Bills. Both teams went on a bye. And now you're playing at New England and the line's still three. What yeah, is- I'm not- during that time period. And and I completely agree with you. That's why I won't play this game at all. I'm not going mean, to touch that's it. That's my mindset. That's why that's, I play the Patriots. Just that thought process. And that's process. the right and that's a completely accurate mindset, 100%. Where where one of the tougher parts for me as a gambler where I have a hard time is when like in in this this particular, right? I think the Patriots are super overvalued. But like overall as a team, but this number, based on the number that we've talked about a few weeks ago, they're not. And we're, I, I truly think right now the Jets are a better football team than the Patriots. If, if like two teams with their players, with their personnel, with everything they have. But there is definitely a little brother, big brother thing with the Jets-Patriots. Like, there's this mental block, I think, with them until we see it happen. Now, maybe things are a little different for them. Maybe they come off of a big win against the Bills and they feel like, hey, we can beat good teams now. But there's something about Belichick and how dominant he's been against them now 
for a while. I'm going to stay away from this one because this is like a weird game for me, just for all the reasons I explained. I, I don't love the Patriots, and I don't like love the Jets or anything, but the Patriots to me, like Patriots, Vikings, and like those are the teams that I just want to continue to play against. I do not think yeah. much of at all, and I think they're super I think, overvalued. I think the Jets are still a little bit overvalued. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree. Allen got hurt. Um, you know, Wilson. And I, Wilson is not the guy in my eyes. I think no. Belichick's going to be able to confuse him. And you kind of look at the way New England plays offense – this isn't a team that's going to be dropping back, throwing the ball. And I really feel the strength of the Jets defense. The is defensive line. Four. No, I feel oh, the, front, the, the back the four. Back four the secondary. Um, I think they're going to struggle stopping the run. Damian Harris is supposed to be coming back. That's another running back. So now you have Stevenson and Harris back there carrying the, carrying the workload, looking to run the ball 40 times a game. And I said it toward the season, like the biggest weakness of the Jets defense was stopping the run. And I really feel like even though their roster has improved, that's still an area that's lacking. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're just going to ground and pound and run it, limit it, Mac Jones, take advantage of some silly Zach, um, Zach Wilson mistakes and, uh, you know, be able to get a win. So I, I bet the Patriots at minus three. Opponents on passes labeled left or right. So outside the numbers this year, uh, Four touchdowns, seven interceptions, two dropped interceptions, 14 passes defended. Opponents have completed just 57% of passes outside the numbers against the Jets, bottom 10 in the NFL entering the Week 10 bye. They've allowed just six yards per attempt on outside passes, sixth lowest in the NFL entering the bye. The seven interceptions leads the league, 14 defended passes tied for fourth. Of those 145 attempts, that's the second highest total of outside passes behind only the dolphins. So what they're saying is people are challenging the young guys and it's not going well. And and I think your point is probably well stated in that. I don't know if that's a Belichick thing that he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to go right at their strength for them. And with, with that, when that's a, a weakness of the Patriots, Belichick does the opposite of that. Like, I don't think he's going to be asking Mac Jones and Patriots receivers who probably aren't as talented as the Jets secondary to go against them. That's what's so weird to me about this game. Like, like everything that we talked about, I don't like the Patriots, but I don't really love the Jets. I like the Jets, I think a little more than the Patriots, just in how I value them as a team overall. But I, this spot has like so many things going from what happened a few weeks ago to the Belichick stuff, to even like you said, the way these two teams particularly match up with each other scheme wise, that I I think it was a fascinating game for me to kind of handicap. And for me to look at, but that doesn't mean you have to play it, right? That's what's great about like what we do that we can play anything, anytime, all these different ways we can get involved. You don't need to feel forced to play every single game and every single time you, you have it. A couple other Patriots notes. They've recorded 51 hurries. That's the highest total in the NFL, even after Sunday's games. And they were on a bye. opponent passing against them on third down. 45 of 85, 560 yards, six touchdowns, six interceptions, 14 sacks, 33 first downs. So uh, very good on third there. And opponents are now 5 of 17 um, against them on fourth down. The Browns had a three conversions against them in five tries in week six. So you can get to them late. They, they got to be a little bit better on third and long. But again, for the Patriots, same thing like the Jets. 
are the Jets a team that you think can attack the Patriots on third and long? I don't. I'm not worried about Wilson on a third and five situation there. So really big game, important game for both of these two teams because hell, like, you know, with what happened to the Bills last week, if the Jets win this game, they're in first place right there with the Dolphins. I mean, they're like, they're half game behind them. So it's crazy to think about. Okay, Eric, what's up next? We've got uh, Eagles Colts. So we're seeing the Eagles, a seven point favorite on the road against the undefeated Jeff Saturday and the Indianapolis Colts total of this game, 44. Talk to us about Eagles Colts. What, what was Frank Wright doing? Like, here's the thing. Like, you look at like Saturday, Saturday came in and what did he do? He immediately said, Matt Ryan gives us the best chance of winning. He's starting. And I, everything he did was simple and basic. Everything he did was simple and basic. You and I have talked numerous times. You got to give Jonathan Taylor the ball. He's like, look, we're giving you the ball. What are they? 22 rushes. This was the first time that the Colts ran the ball. 30 times since week one. And this is what Colts brand football is running the ball. It makes you think what was Frank Wright doing there? Like what was like, what was going on there that it was so bad that this is what we're getting. Um, Eagles have a little bit of an issues. They're a little bit more banged up than people realize. Yeah. And they're not that great against the run. I mean, they they haven't been hurt. What's and, been deceiving about them, Eric, because they've been up on a lot of teams. Teams haven't been able to stay consistent to the run when they played the Eagles because if you're down by 14 or 21, it's harder to run, 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 run. But last week, Washington went in there with a game plan. They said, we're going to suck the life out of the clock. They ran 81 plays compared to 47 for the Eagles. They had... For, they forced the Eagles to go five, uh, three and out five times. And most teams aren't as disciplined as Washington was last week in what they tried to do. But that's a template because we saw Green Bay do the same exact thing to Dallas, really, right? Can teams do that against them? If they can, the Eagles are beatable. Yep, and no Jordan Davis. I think no Jordan Davis, the rookie from Georgia there, hurts the run game. It forces Lendon Fletcher to play a lot more. He used to be really, really good. Now, unfortunately, Father Time is catching up with him. So the Eagles have a little bit of an issue. You mentioned 28th against the run. Um, But I do trust this Eagles staff to come up with something. The worry thing for me was how easily the commanders, wide receivers, were able to beat Slay and Bradbury, two better corners in the league, in in running routes. So I don't – I don't know. I think I think it's an interesting spot. I, I and, and I mean, like gonna... getting into last week's game a little bit too. Like the Eagles should not have lost that game. Like that was a that was a fluky bouncing game for the Eagles. Like they've they had three turnovers in that game. But One of them comes back to like our regression talk we have. So absolutely no, no, no. But... Please don't. No, no. You're totally right. The the turnovers are going to bounce back. You're not going to always get the luck of them, right? Yeah, but. And I think we can take a few things out of the game to be worried about. Like we said, their injuries and that, that you can run against them. Am I overall worried? Well, is it likely that two of their turnovers, one of them was a face mask that they didn't, that they missed a total face mask on Goddard that forced him to fumble the ball. If they, and when they reviewed it, you can't call a face mask on a review. It's not reviewable. So that wouldn't have been a turnover. And then the other one, Watkins was down and then he got up 
and tried to run, and that was just a dumb fumble. And, but so both of those turnovers are are not ones that you can necessarily count on or even say like, wow, that was a great play from Washington. You know, that was more just like you're saying, regression, a little bit of bad luck for a team that was eight no to start and had a lot of things bounce their way. You know, you know, early on in the season, I'm and I'm, they yeah also so, a big injury with Dallas Gobert going on the IR. That's a big blow to them. Uh, Jake Stroll, yeah. who uh, it's like four thousand dollars on FanDuel. With how the Eagles play, there's always going to be they're always going to kind of filter about six to seven targets to tight end. That would be a good option. Um, it's going to be interesting to see like how the was the Colts victory. How can I say this? I trust the Eagles staff more than I trust the Raiders staff. That Absolutely. is a nightmare. Do the Eagles have issues? Yeah, but I think they're going to be able to kind of solve them this week. I think it was good they lost the game because it's kind of a little bit of a wake-up call for them. You don't want to go undefeated. You need it. It's a good thing to go back to your squad this week and say, here, here are the teaching things that we need, right? These are the things that we need to work on. Yeah, but again, like this is one of those games, like I want absolutely nothing to do with it. You know, I kind of feel – I kind of feel you have to use Jonathan Taylor in your 50-50 contests this week just based on what he did. But other than that, I just appeared kind of a stay away from me. Yeah, the Colts, Jeff Saturday wins his first game as a head coach, but they beat this bad, struggling Raiders team. You know what? The Colts were better blocking, better tackling, and overall they looked better. So you're right. It, you know, Whether or not it was all about the Raiders being so bad, it was not like this team looked competent the weeks before. They were just making bad decisions. Like Ellinger was not the quarterback for this team. Matt Ryan was fine. 17 of 21. He looked like he had a bounce in his step. He had a 39 yard run. Eric, did you see that run for Matt Ryan? That was the longest of his career. A 39 yard scramble. He But he, on the flip it, side, and I said it on your show last year, they should have fired right after not winning that game in Jacksonville last year. I thought this season oh, was going to be mainly hard, like, Absolutely. coming in. So I, I I think this was a move that needed to be done. I think it was the right move. So Taylor was back. He was healthy, 148 yards, 23 carries, two carries for 10 or more yards, five first downs, 68-yard touchdown. Offensive line helped the team to run for 270 yards. They allowed just one sack. And then you know what? Paris Campbell. 32 targets over his last three games. And then on the flip side with Matt Ryan as a quarterback, he's averaging 20.8 PPR points per game. Paris Campbell, like he's becoming a guy in fantasy. Now Eagles, like we said, we talked about, I'm not too worried. Like we said, a couple fluky things that flipped the script there, but Goddard being hurt. He was second on the team in receiving yards. He was tied for second in receiving touchdowns and in pro football focus grade and in receiving grade, he was fourth among receiving tight ends. This is a good player and he's going to be missed on this team. This could be a really big Brown week. He's coming off a season low in targets and the Colts ranked 29th against wide receiver ones this year in fantasy points. So no Goddard coming off a week where Brown wasn't involved very much. I could see them, making a focus on trying to get him involved early because they're going to be a few extra targets around without Goddard. And I mean, Philly outgained the commanders on a per play basis. They had a higher success rate on offense and Washington recovered four of the five fumbles in this game, including all three Philadelphia fumbles. 
that's usually not going to happen. Keep an eye on Hertz. He has not run for more than 28 yards in four straight weeks. Just something to monitor for his kind of overall value. I don't mind that as a quarterback. Like, because right now, does he need to take all those extra hits? No. But if you're using him in fantasy week in, week out, and he's not running for 50 yards like he was before, then all of a sudden his value is a little bit different. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. He doesn't have that. You you have him for his rushing upside. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's continue to Commanders-Texans. We've talked a little bit about this Commanders game when we were talking about the Eagles. Commanders, yeah, they ran the 81 plays to just 47. Eric, that was one of the best coached games I can remember. Because, as I said, they needed a few things to bounce their way, but that is the exact template of what you wanted your team to do to try to beat the Eagles. We have to come in here. We have to run. We have to go on long drives. We can't turn the ball over. We have to be smart. We just can't make mistakes. Hey, run, pick up three or four, pick up two or three on a pass. If it's not there, throw it away. Don't force anything bad. That was a really, really well-coached game. And I I was just impressed with the team overall. They like Heineke. They all do. You could see it. The players do. I think a lot of the guys get up playing for this guy a little bit. And this is probably a bad spot for Washington heading on the road to the Texans after getting that huge Monday night win against a rival, a divisional foe. Now you're right back in the playoff conversation. And then you got to go play at Houston, one of the worst teams in the league. It's going to be hard to get up for this game. Davis Mills hasn't looked good recently. God, this feels like a great Texan spot, right? I mean, it's all about buying low, selling high, betting the NFL. You have the commanders who just beat the team with the best record in the NFL in a standalone primetime game. People are saying this team is for real. They're making a payoff playoff playoff push. And then you have the Texans who have lost four games in a row against the spread teams in this position, losing four games a row against the spread are 55% ATS in this spot. Um, So it's a good spot to be in for that. And then there's also the Sirianni factor ever since he's become a coach teams that after they've played the Eagles, the following week are only 35%. ATS. That's just an interesting. You've been hitting this for a while, man. That was like you. And what I like about this, you got on this before it became a trend. That's how we have to do it in gambling. We have to try to get ahead of the trends because then once it becomes a trend and everybody's found out, then the numbers start to move. Yeah. So I just think this is a sell high point for the commanders, a buy point for the the Texans. I think this number is a little bit inflated. Um, Nico Collins, he's starting to emerge as a good number one target. For the Texans. six targets over his last yeah. four games, so that's like uh, a, that's a nice average, yeah. right? Like six targets yeah. per game for I, someone like that who's a good DFS dart throw, I think, still too. I think he's a good DFR. Um, Damian Pierce, he's looking great. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. Um, I know Chase Young could be coming back, but he's coming back from a serious injury. It's going to take people a little bit time to come back. Like, we just need to kind of pump the brakes in that. Take the Texans plus a three and a half, you know, sprinkle a little bit on that money line too. Three or over, I'm on the Texans for sure. Um, yeah, they, they're on pace to allow 3,000 rushing yards this year. That would be the third highest total in NFL history, the highest since 1980. But with that being said, like, here's 
Now, interesting thing. Like, here's my thought process. So you just said that. So right away, who's going to be the 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 mid price running back that's going to be insanely overpriced in Washington? Right? Is it Robinson that gets? It's going to be overpriced. Not Rob. Excuse me. Overused. Everyone's going to overused. They're going to be going to look at Robinson. Um, and I'll be honest, I'll kind of drift to Gibson then. Just because Gibson, Gibson has looked better running the ball than Robinson. Better, but that's because they've cut down on his carries. Ex- they're yes. not they're so it's he's getting more productive with limited carries. work. So, yeah, yeah, he's so looking, I, he's getting better looks. I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. So I, I would, don't I would look to play Gibson in DFS um and Nico Collins. And then I yeah, we're both. Fact- Texans over the three. If you can get that three and a half, excellent. Let's go to Raiders and Broncos. Well, I, I wondered if the Raiders lost to Jeff Saturday, they would get fired. Uh, that McDaniels would get fired. He's not. They came out and said, then reports came out that said that the Raiders might be cash poor and that they may have to keep this guy for another year because they don't want to have to pay the like the, the buyout um, to get rid of him. Ah, man, this is it's a bad situation for this Raiders team. And you know what? It's funny. They're playing a Broncos team. It's not like they're great. Like, both of these teams, that's what's so weird about this game to me, is that both of these teams feel like they're so, like, at the bottom of their value right now. Both of them. Like, I don't think either one of these teams could be thought of as less than they are right this second. The Raiders just lost a game to a coach that had never coached a, a college football game. He hadn't even been in the building for a week. On Monday night, they didn't even know who was calling the plays, and then they said it's going to be a 30-year-old kid calling the plays for the first time ever. That's who the Raiders just lost to. And so look at look at what's gone on for the Raiders just in like the last month, Eric. So this year, they've lost three games when they were leading by 17 points. Week eight, they got shut out by the Saints. They didn't even cross midfield until the two-minute warning in that game. Week nine, they play the Jags. They're they're up by 17, and they lose to the Jags. So week eight, shut out by a bad Saints team that comes back and gets their ass kicked the next week. Week nine, you lose to the Jags, who come back and then get their ass kicked against Kansas City. And then last week, you lose to the Colts with a head coach that got hired on Monday. Yeah. They had 10 penalties for 74 yards and those penalties took away 55 yards worth of plays for them. The defense has had one sack and one interception in the last four games. And those opponents, the Texans, the saints, the Jags and the Colts, bad, bad offenses. They can't even sack them or get interceptions against them. This is a miserable football team right now. But on the other side, I mean, you got a miserable offense in Denver. They shut down Derrick Henry for just 53 yards. They win the time of possession by seven minutes, but the offense is miserable, and they have eight penalties for 50 yards. Russell Wilson was 21 of 42. He had 21 incompletions. He got sacked six times. Denver only ran for 2.6 yards per carry. They have injuries in... uh, on the offensive line, the backup center and the guard that made things difficult for them. And they were already bad on the offensive side. This was their fourth loss in a one score game this year. Wilson was pressured on 47.9% of his dropbacks. 
He went seven of 17 for 88 yards and he got sacked six times on those. He has been sacked three times in seven straight games this year. Remember when that was the problem in Seattle, the bad offensive line in Russell Wilson, that's the longest streak in his career. He's never had a stretch where for seven games in a row, he's been sacked at least three times. It's happened now. And I mean, the offense is insanely struggling. I read this thing where if they averaged 18 points a game, they'd be eight and one. And, and what's crazy, they've benefited from seven pass interference penalties, which is tied for the highest in the NFL. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but they're, it's they're just, penalties, and it's just you hit on this one right away, too. I got to give you credit. You were all over them, and this guy just not being ready to be a head football coach right now. And, and you were also on last year, you thought Wilson was done. And maybe he can have a better year next year or at one point there's something left with a different scheme. Who knows? But this is starting to feel like him being stubborn and this coach not being competent. Just a lot of bad things because you know what, Eric? They just waste they, – they are wasting a fantastic defense. Like this is a top five defense in the league. I honestly think if they had Chubb and were healthy, they're like a top two defense in the league. Their secondary is fantastic. I mean, I kind of feel like their season was done as soon as Javante Williams was out. Um, Completely agree. Plus the the one component of the offense that kind of BS your way to a victory. Uh, you see on Russell Wilson being stubborn. We see what success Seattle's offense is looking now since Shane Weldon, the offensive coordinator, can run the offense he wants to. Wasn't able to do that because who else? Russell Wilson didn't want that offense to be implemented. Did you hear uh, what the Pete Carroll took a shot at um, about the wrist, the wristband no. too? Because Wilson doesn't like to wear the wristband, you know, yeah. to, for, to look at the plays and stuff. And the problem is, is like, they're always D- Denver this year. They're always sort of behind, you know, like they're always late or just coming up on a delay of game. And it's just one of those things that they said that like Pete Carroll took a shot because Gino wears the wristband. So they call it a play. He looks and boom, the plays in, they're up on the line and they move. They're moving at like a way quicker pace because Russ was a little bit slower because he does he he's the type of guy who's like I don't need a wristband I know everything, but it's you know it's like a stubborn thing like he's trying to be showy about it sometimes and it gets to the point where like you know what he just loves people the wrong way yeah um, you just not and you're, a good- he's a step slower and yeah you can Tweeted do out. it when athletically you can make up for that right and athletically he can't make up for it the way he used to with his arm or with his legs yeah and then he tweeted that out keep working on the bye week and he's in Cabo Cabo or wherever with Sienna. Um, in terms of this game, I look at it like this. You have Carr, 57% ATS as a road dog. Wilson as a favorite, 48%. This year as a favorite with the Broncos, he's 0-3 ATS. The one thing that I know about this Raiders team is this. This offense can put up points. Even against this Broncos defense, I think they're going to be able to move the ball. I think they're going to be able to put up points with the weapons that they have. Josh Jacobs, Mac Hollins, who's developed into a great deep threat and someone that Derek Carr trusts. Foster Monroe, who, you know, I, I think he's a starting to tight end in the league, but he's buried, buried behind De- Waller and Devontae Adams. I just worry about this Broncos offense being able to score enough to keep up with them, with how even with how bad this Raiders defense is. This Broncos, think of it like this. You had a whole week to prepare to go against the Tennessee Titans who are missing key people on the defensive end. 
and you weren't. And they able scored to points on two out of their thirteen drives. Yes, and you weren't able to do anything. There's major issues there. I think Hackett is just a lame duck. I think this this owner from Walmart. I think he's like, there's no point in firing him right now. He's like, yeah, just wait till the end of the year and just just we're out the end of the year. And like, part of me, like I had this discussion with someone the other day, someone, my, my buddy thinks that's just the way to go because you don't want to hire an intern, have them do good and then have to kind of force to give them the job. You would rather just fire the guy, go through the process, pick a guy and don't be forced to take the intern. And it's, it's funny. Like this team too, they're bad on special teams. Right. It's it, it they did they just seem like a team that would be bad on special teams, you know what I mean? Because they're not well coached. And let for example, so compare them to the Titans, who they played last week. Yep. There were 17 total punts in that game. 17 Titans Broncos. And the Titans punter averaged 54 yards per punt. He had a punt that went 72 yards and he pinned the Broncos at the four, the six and the eight. It's like little things like that. He also had three kickoffs for touchbacks. So Denver's terrible on their offense, on on their special teams. They play another team that on paper, they're just as talented in, but that team executes better on special teams. And now all of a sudden you're having to start from behind and at worst field position every time. They're a poorly poorly coached football team and i i don't want to touch this game with a 10 foot pole the only thing i i'm i'm looking at so jerry judy left the game with an injury in in the four games in um okay sutton has had four games in his career where he's had double digit targets three of them have come in games where judy was not playing or left with an injury so sutton becomes the guy when judy's not around maybe we look at sutton because the Raiders' defense is miserable. If the Broncos can't move the ball or score a couple times against this team, they're not scoring against anyone. Did you lean late Raiders in here? I'm staying away. I took the Raiders plus the three. Yeah, like, I, I can see why. I mean, at a low, at a low team. This is just a game where I would take the dog. Yeah, like, I, I would take. Play, I always take the dog. I have same a lot thing. Of <laughs> what an ugly game. Broncos and the Raiders. Let's continue along. Bengals and the Steelers. Just a couple more games to discuss. So we got Cincy at Pittsburgh. Cincy is a four-point favorite on the road. Over-under in this game is 41. So your Bengals coming off the bye. The, you know what? Their offense, they have committed the lowest amount of holding penalties in the NFL after a bad start to the year, their offensive line has improved a little bit and they've shown improvement in how they play. They've been playing a little bit quicker when they did play quicker. They're better. You pointed out when Burrow holds on to the ball too long, that's when they struggle. Now Watt is back. So we saw how that picked up the Pittsburgh Steelers defense and that helped them last week. I, this is a weird one for me. I mean, this feels like another game where like Pittsburgh could keep it close, probably a Tomlin game. I could see the Bengals winning by a field goal here. I don't really have the strongest opinion. I, do you do you go back to Tomlin on this one again? Yeah. I you know, I I took it off the openers at five. You know, Tomlin 65% ATS. Dog 83% as a home dog. Taylor is only 40% ATS as a road favorite over a field goal. 
You mentioned TJ Watt. The main thing that TJ Watt is going to do when he comes back is he forces the Bengals offensive line to focus their attention on him. This allows Jack Highsmith Hayward to be able to get home to Burrow. And I know, I know they won like the week before the bye, but that first game against the Browns with no Jamar Chase, and there's Chase isn't going to be back this week. That's a four to six week injury. There's no way he's going to be back for this game. Didn't look right. And I think it's going to struggle against this defense. The offense that is just because of the stuff TJ Watt brings to the table, being able to get to the quarterback and make Burrow uncomfortable. Um, so I like it there. Uh, we saw Najee Harris look a lot better after the bye. Uh, we saw, so I, I, I like the Steelers here, you know, I, I'm, I backed. And I think, I yeah, I definitely, I wouldn't, the, wouldn't lay the four. And I, I agree with you. I'll probably end up playing a uh, pit at anything over th- at three and a half or above. I'd, I'd be on the pit side. And I completely agree with what you were saying about um, what about chase about how, you know, the Bengals didn't look that great in their first game without him. And then they, they pounded the run. That was that weird game where Mixon just ran all over the Panthers, right? It was a little bit was it was the Panthers. Well, that was like the flat spot of the year for the Panthers. A- absolutely. Totally that. agree. Totally agree. Well, the like only gotta, the, the thing look, we're dancing tonight, huh? You and I yeah. are doing a dance a little bit tonight, huh? Go ahead. <laughs> oh no, I was just gonna say, like, you kind of have to like remember that too when you look at that. Like, was that more of like the Bengals figuring it out, or is that more of the Panthers let down spot because of what happened. Completely agree with you. My only my my reason why I'm not jumping in to play this game has nothing to do with what you were pointing out about the defense. I actually think that the Bengals defense is a lot better than overall we kind of think this year. The Bengals defense is actually grading better than their offense by a lot of metrics. Like this Bengals defense is I think 10th in defensive DVOA. They are ninth against the pass and 12th against the run. So they're pretty balanced. I'm a little bit worried about Pittsburgh trying to move the ball against them. Pittsburgh's def- Pittsburgh moved the ball pretty well last week against them off the bye. So maybe off the bye, they've got these two games that they, you know, they have stuff ready for. They have some scheme. Najee Harris looked better than he had looked all year last year, last week. And they got Warren involved a little bit too. So if Pittsburgh can do that, and get a little bit creative on offense. I we have talked about it before. I have just so little faith in Matt Canada as an offensive coordinator. I don't think he's very good. So that would be one of my only reasons to stay away from this game. But yeah, at the number, this just feels like another Tomlin close game. Bengals win on a field goal, or we're scratching our head at the end of the game, going like Pittsburgh had no point winning that game, and somehow they did. You know, that just feels like like one of those. Uh, Final two of the weekend, Eric, Sunday night, and then Monday night. So, oh, no, excuse me. We got three more to go. Sunday, and then Sunday night, Monday night. Cowboys-Vikings. One of the trappier games, it feels like, right? You're looking at this line, and everyone going, the Vikings are not favored against the Cowboys at home? Dallas is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against Minnesota. But we talked about Minnesota a little bit at the beginning uh, of this, uh, of the pod. They came back from down 17 in the second half. It was the fifth game-winning drive of the season for Cousins. That's the most he's ever had. But they've had seven straight wins by one score. And they are the first team ever to have an 8-1 record 
with a negative DVOA. They are 10% points worse than any other team that has been 8-1 and in the history of DVOA. And it's not just DVOA. If someone hears us and they're like, DVOA, what the hell are those things? Stupid rankings that you use, advanced analytics. So ESPN, FPI has them ranked 10th. Pro Football Focus, uh, Pro Football Reference SRS has them tied for 6th. EPA per play has them 12th on offense and 13th on defense. They have been outgained by their opponents on a per play basis. 5.92 yards to 5.52 yards. They have a 45% success rate on offense and they've allowed a 47% success rate on defense. I mean, those are just basics. Like if you stripped away wins and losses from every team and just looked at what the teams do well, nobody would say that the Vikings are one of the best teams in the league. They have an eight turnover margin, Eric. They've recovered 67% of their fumbles. Those are things that are not going to sustain. The only problem again with them though, like I don't know if this is the spot because this isn't a game where they're really overvalued. They're a home dog in here. That's what's sort of weird. Um, Your guy Hawk has looked great for them. Seven catches, yeah, 45 yards, 19 targets in two games so yeah. far. Bigger factor in the passing attack than I thought. Um, I think this is how I look at this game. Um, I played the Cowboys money line off of openers. I never yeah. lay points in the road, but if it's a pick them, I'll do it. I got him at minus 115 over it. Um, the Vikings could be without not one, not two, but three starting offensive linemen. Um, you have the Cowboys defensive line, which is getting to the quarterback explosive. And if you have backups in there, that defensive line against the Cowboys is going to be able to eat. You have the Vikings coming off that big emotional win over the Bills. Oh, where let's overtime. Face it, overtime, too. You have the Cowboys blowing a double-digit lead in the fourth, losing in overtime. Um, the Vikings' defense, they give up the third most receiving yards to opposing wide receivers. I think CeeDee Lamb is going to be running up and down all over this field, just eating against that secondary. Um, and I, It's I just funny because these two teams, coming off of their individual games, it was like those two teams were in very similar games where the Vikings opponent completely blew the game, spit it out, let let them win. That was the Bills. And then Dallas did the same thing. They did it to the Packers. It was like almost a mirror image these two days. Dallas was up big. They let the Packers come back in. They turned the ball over a few times. If it wasn't for some of Dallas's mistakes, that game was done. Like I said, the Cowboys were 180-0. and 0 entering the fourth quarter with a 14-point lead, according to ESPN Stats and Info. And they have two interceptions, and both of those interceptions were touchdowns for the Packers. Yeah, Boom. That's 14 points for them. That's exactly how the, the game flipped. Now, they went out three and uh, they went three and out five times. That hurt. They very easily could have kicked a field goal in overtime to go up three. They tried to go for it. But one thing, you know, I guess a couple things that could hurt them. They had nine penalties for 83 yards. And then there were two more penalties that were not called because they were offsetting penalties. They're bottom five in the league in penalties against. And the three teams ahead of them haven't played a bye yet. 
So they have way more penalties than everybody else in the league. They, they also have losses against the Packers, Tampa, and the Eagles, all teams in the NFC teams that might hurt them in like tiebreaker situations right now. They look like they're in better shape than Tampa or, you know, uh, green Bay. But if those teams get a little hot down the stretch and Dallas is sitting there next to them and they lost games to both of them that were winnable games that could hurt. Yep. It was a weird game for Parsons too. He had no pressures on just eight pass rushes. It was the first time in his career, no pressures. And I just, I mean, I think Dallas is way better. I think Dallas is a way better football team than Minnesota. I do. And I think I like I, the line is just so goofy to look at and see that. I would not play Minnesota here. I'm not going to play this game. If like, I agree with Eric, if you didn't get it maybe a little bit earlier, I don't know if I'd want to lay even just one and a half or two with Dallas, but I would not be surprised if Dallas wins this game by multiple scores pretty easily in like a good bounce back for them after that. It's going to happen for Minnesota. Like what we saw happen for the Eagles last week in one of these games where they're going to have two or three turnovers that are awful, that are just weird and fluky because they've gotten all the bounces all year long. Yeah. They're they're due for regression. Um, We need to remember what happened last year. Cooper Cup, not Cooper Cup, Rush. Sorry, Cooper Rush went in there, led him to a victory. Um, you know, I I think the same thing is going to happen. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if this is a seven point win by the Cowboys. No, I mean either. I think it's a it's a good spot for them. Uh, let's move along to Sunday Night Football: Chiefs and Chargers. So we have the Chiefs as a five and a half point favorite. On the road, over-under in this game is 50. Looks like the Chargers could get back Mike Williams this week. And the Chargers. And who? Possibly Keenan Allen could be coming Oh, back. so both could. Okay, I was I, I didn't heard that possibly Allen. That would be, yeah, that would be a, a major help if they could get both of them back. Because, I mean, that's that's what hurts. The, the touchdown rate for Herbert this year has been way down. But keep in mind, next four games – they face all teams that are in the bottom half of passing defensive DVOA, and they could be getting Williams and Keenan Allen back. So Herbert might be sneaky in DFS over the next month, and he's a little bit undervalued right now because he hasn't had his weapons there. But they have, I mean, they've just got so many injuries too. A defensive line injuries have really hurt them. They have allowed a league low 13 sacks for just 62 yards, but they rank 30th with just 6.3 yards per attempt and 30th with just 9.6 yards per completion. Only the Cardinals and the Steelers average fewer yards per completion and per attempt than the Chargers. I don't know if that's going to work against the Chiefs, though, without weapons. It might, this might be totally different for them with the weapons coming back. The Chiefs on the flip side, I mean, this has been a fantastic Mahomes year. He leads the league in passing yards, touchdown passes. He's thrown four-plus passing touchdowns. 22% of the time, 16 out of 72 times, he's thrown four touchdowns passing. No other quarterback in NFL history has done it 15% of his games, and Mahomes has done it 22% of the time. Tony was the, the weapon that people like to see, 33 yards rushing, 57 yards receiving. He's going to be a nice use uh, for them. It's kind of scary for Juju. That was his fourth concussion that he's had in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, I think th- they're going to be really cautious with him. I had two concussions um, in like six months and like three in like in like a two year span. It can get really, really scary. CEH, man, I got to give you props again. You called this one 
from the moment they drafted him and said, this was a bad pick. This guy's not going to be very valuable and he's not going to make it with what they need a between the tackles type guy. He did not get one carry last week. The, uh, he's, he's not, yeah, fake. not one Pacheco had 82 yards on 16 carries. And keep in mind, the chiefs have the fifth easiest schedule over the rest of the year. So they might be up in these, some of these games where they're trying to run the ball out late. Pacheco could be a, a nice piece here. Talk to us about chiefs chargers. Uh, Mahomes 44% ATS is a favor of seven or more points is a favor of three or more points, 46. So he's not covering these big numbers. And that goes back to the stuff that Gino and I talk about all the time. Just the value of these teams perceived by the market. Are the chiefs good? Yeah, but their number is always inflated. You can get, you can make money by fading them. Herbert 64% ATS. If Allen and Williams come back, which I think they will, this is immediately going to make a uptick in the um, in what Herbert's, Herbert is going and the Chargers offense is going to be able to do. I saw this insane graphic where it showed the yards of separation that the Dolphins were getting, Dolphins wide receivers were getting versus, versus the what, Chargers. Yeah, just absolutely absurd what Herbert is able to do with the lack of talent in the receiving room. Chiefs really do struggle. They're one of the worst struggle defending the running back in the passing game. I expect this to be a big Austin Eckler game where he's going to be able to get, move the ball a lot of the screen game, a lot lining up. Um, I just believe the chargers, even though with everything going on in the trenches, they have the advantages in the trenches and Mahomes is showing us, you know, is he probably going to win MVP and the plus 1200 that I gave out here after week one going to hit? Yeah. But he doesn't cover big numbers, so and, let's and you just... know what? This is this is like a real like narrative-y thing to say. But I say this as a as someone who's like a Laker fan and who has been a fan of teams that have been like perennially pretty good. No, I mean, not, not this year, but like perennially good. Everybody gets up for the Chiefs too, right? Like that's a game that you circle too. Like they're not only bigger numbers and bigger spreads because they're overvalued. Everybody circles a game against the Chiefs. This is a primetime game that you're going to get up for. Like the guys on the defense want to put a hit on Mahomes. There's something to be said for a little bit extra effort when you're a good team that you get you get everybody else's best punches, right? Every like this is a game that everyone wants to punch. This is a rivalry game here too. The Chargers blew that game earlier in the year. There are a lot of reasons to like the Chargers, and I'm with you. I think if I could get anything over, I mean, like anything over a field goal, I would take the Chargers here. So five and a half is, uh, I think. Oh, wow. I got seven. I got seven. Like, yeah, that, and that's how that's a moving. That's moving because of the receivers. Like we're talking about. So it's, that's fine at three and a half or over. That would be my number. And like we said, we're already seeing it move right now. So if you like the chargers, try to jump in right now, because that number is going to keep going. I think a little closer, let's finish up Eric with uh Monday night football. We will be in Mexico for the 49ers and the Cardinals. So that's why, well, it looks like the 49ers are a favorite on the road. I mean, they're both on the road. It's a, it's a neutral site game. It's not as if they're playing in Arizona. The only thing about this 49ers team is I will say, they are a very good football team. They get sort of talked about like they're 9 and 1 and like a pencil right into the Super Bowl team. And maybe like maybe when we get to the playoffs, they're going to be a tough team to beat, but I don't know. I mean, I still think that right now 
they're like a really buzzy bandwagony team for a team that's only five and four. Now their defense is fantastic. They've allowed fewer than 20 points in seven out of their nine games this year. They rank first in uh, fewest yards per game allowed, rushing yards per game uh, per rush, and in first downs allowed per game. They held the Chargers to 52 yards of total second half offense. They pressured the quarterback 35% of the time this year. On uh, 35% of the time on Sunday, last week on dropbacks. It was weird to see Mitchell come in. 18 carries, 89 yards. Um, took you know a lot of carries away from McCaffrey, who everybody just thought McCaffrey was going to be a monster there. But they show you that for fantasy purposes, it may not be fun. But but my biggest problem with them, last week they only scored two touchdowns against a Chargers defense that was really banged up. Like They've got everybody there now, right? They've got McCaffrey, Kittle, Debo was there. Like They got a lot of their offensive line back. There's still something weird with them. And maybe it's just going to take a few weeks to get it all figured out. But I don't know, Eric. I think this team is still a tad overvalued. Now, can we play Arizona and maybe Colt McCoy? I mean, I think you can. I think I think it's relative. I think that I think it's really weird that this line even is out because you really have no idea what's going to go on in the quarterback room. It um, kind of feels like a Colt line, though. Would you say it feels like a Colt line? But it wouldn't surprise me if Murray plays. I really like this. It's obviously priced that Murray isn't going to play. Um, and this is just how I look at it. You like I'm counting this as a road game because it's out of Arizona. Kingsbury is an insane eighty percent against the spread as a road dog. Sixty nine percent. They're 11 and three on the road since 2021, 11 and three. That's the best record in football, which is absolutely nuts. It's, it's absolutely insane. Um, you know, Shanahan, 38% ATS as a favorite as a seven point favorite or more. He's 33%. Jimmy G as a favorite. He is 43%. And the thing is, this is like this Cardinals defensive front is better against the run than people realize. I think that Watt and crew are going to be able to get home. I think they're going to be able to disrupt them and force Jimmy G to make some plays. And am I crazy to think that Jimmy G doesn't look healthy from the injury he had this offseason? His throws are more off target than they normally are. I think, um, I think there's something going on there. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I kind of, kind of like the uh, as crazy as it sounds. You know what I they feel start. in watching their game. There's something to some of these teams that when they're they're starting quarterbacks out, they get simpler, and that's what they do when Murray's out there. They have to play sharper overall as a team. And Colt McCoy had a really nice game last week. He was 26 of 37. 238 yards, one touchdown, focused a lot on Hopkins and more. He went eight for 11 on passes that were 10 plus yards down the field, two big time throws, no turnover worthy plays. And then on 40 pass blocking snaps, they allowed only six pressures. So they should be able to keep him somewhat protected. I think it's a good spot for the Cardinals. I do too. At at seven or over, I would take Arizona here. And I mean, this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but Shanahan's four. No, excuse me. I said that reversely. Kingsbury's four, one, and one 
against Shanahan coaching ATS. Um, also, there's also the factor I've, I mentioned before, uh, coaching against a coach that has won a Super Bowl. He's 60, 60% ATS against coaches that have not won a Super Bowl. So he's beating coaches that I don't want to say aren't good, but not that top tier of coaches. So mm-hmm. I think they're live here. And if Murray, and this isn't going to be like the Bills game. If, if Murray practices on Thursday, this lane is going to drop. If Murray Absolutely. plays, this is going to be close to four. I locked it in at seven and a half. Anything over a touchdown, I'd lock in right right away. I know, and I don't I don't mind McCoy at all as a backup quarterback. They were good with him last year. Didn't they yeah. beat the 49ers last year with him? They actually I did. Think, yes, they did. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So just it's so weird. It's so weird to see someone like Kingsbury be good with like be good in the situation with a backup quarterback and then just be awful in some other similar situations, like where he seems like they're, they're by far like in the right spot in the good spot. Yeah. It was last year. It was against San Francisco. Um, Cause last year they beat San Francisco twice. They beat San Francisco in week nine at San Francisco with Colt McCoy starting 31 to 17 McCoy went 22 for 26, 249 yards, 9.6 yards, Per average, he had a touchdown, no interceptions, and he was really good. They ran the ball well with James Conner. Christian Kirk had a good game too. So, um, one thing worth mentioning: Zach Ertz done for the year, right? I think he got carved out. um, They drafted this kid McBride from um, Colorado State, who was the highest graded tight end. So, I don't think there's going to be that much decline in the room as people think. It's a good point, Eric. We finish up with NFL Week 11. Wow. So you can catch Eric and me on uh, Sunday morning, again, diving into all of the NFL games. That'll be Sunday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. We'll also talk some college football on Friday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. So uh, you can find both of those shows at BTV Bets, or if you follow me on Twitter or Eric, we always post them and we'll, uh, we'll share them out there. Eric, what do you have coming up with your show this weekend? Um, I have a podcast coming out this uh, this Friday. Jim, who's on the college football show with us, him and I'll be talking the Grey Cup. That's the Super Bowl of the CFL, the Canadian Football League. Um, my boy David and I, uh, we just kind of we do a segment where we give our two best, we each give our two best bets of the weekend, talk some NFL, and then um, I'm going to debut a fantasy football uh, segment. My boy Nick. And I are going to build a DFS lineup for you. So, uh, yeah, it should be a good episode. So, if you guys aren't doing anything, tune in. Eric, buddy, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again over the next few days. And, folks, come and hang out with uh, with Eric and I every Thursday morning, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for just a quick little 10, 15-minute Twitter spaces where we go over the Thursday night game. Good luck this weekend, buddy. You too, my man. Oh, you know what? Real quick, while we're here, let's go through. Uh, let's just confirm on R five real quick. Okay. I didn't write. I didn't write them down for uh, for this week, just so we have the uh, the five games. Let's go. Titans. So we got Titans. Yeah, Titans. Let's go. Titans. Texans. Titans. Texans. Let's go. Steelers. Steelers. 
Let's go Chargers. Chargers. And Cardinals. Sounds good. Okay, Titans, Texans, Steelers, Chargers, and Cardinals, the five for me and Eric. We've come off of uh, two nice weeks, four and one, and then three and two last week. Uh, we'll see if we can get up. I think we've only had two, 10 weeks Except through. We've one. had two losing weeks. I think we had one losing week. Uh, we had one. I think we had one bad week, one, two, and three, and then one that was one and four. Okay. And then, right. yeah. And then, and so we had one week where it was like a bad week. The other one was a two and three. Everything else, we've been three and two. We had a one fiver, and I think uh, we had one four and one a couple weeks ago. So really solid so far throughout the year. If you've been following along, Eric, buddy, good luck to you, my man. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks everyone for hanging out with us here. Good luck this weekend. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge
racing fantasy come true But no, 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 Stable Duel Download the Stable Duel app and play today This weekend, Stable Duel is all about Gulfstream and Del Mar And that's what we'll be talking, Gulfstream Park and Del Mar Right now, let's talk some best bets for both of these tracks for Saturday, get those past performances out for Gulfstream for Saturday. Let's take a look at November the 19th and let's take a look at race number five. I'm looking at the number six in here. Another day gone by who's going to cut back, gets back to a fast dirt course. This is a two year old filly who's been on synthetic, on a good listed dirt course at Saratoga, on a good listed turf course, on a fast dirt course, on a sloppy track and has handled pretty much everything they've thrown at her she's been remarkably consistent and i think it's a good spot for her cutting back she's five to one on the morning line anything over seven to two will make a win wager there on the number six another day gone by race six at golf stream i'm looking at the number nine in here and that's devil's key who's a first full out of silver dollar diva who was a winning dam this barn has hit about 11% with first-time starters the last five years, but they've won with two of their last six, 9-2 and 3-1. to one. Like the tab here, well-spotted, Devils, K, anything around 7-2. to two. That's a win wager there. And then in the eighth race, we're looking at the four, Running Legacy. There is a ton of early speed in this race. It looks like they should be cooking early on. Look at some of the, the races that Running Legacy has exited. She's been in every race where they've gone sub-24 fraction to the first quarter mile. They should be going a lot quicker than that early in here. She's probably a cut below some of the the better runners in this one. But she may come rolling late. I like the company she's kept. Running Legacy is a big price at 15-1. to couple plays for you at Gulfstream Park for Saturday. Let's move to Del Mar for Saturday. My favorite plays for Del Mar for Saturday towards the back of the Saturday card. So let's flip there for Saturday, races 7, 8, and 9. And in race number 7, the number 4, Lord Sheldon is interesting. This is a horse who I think just needs a a particular type of trip. I hope they just they either get aggressive with him or kind of take him back. He just doesn't seem like the type of horse you can start and stop. And that's what's tricky with him. He kind of got backed up into in some traffic at the start. He was towards the rear on the inside about four lengths off. He kind of get kept getting beat to spots and he had to shift out. But he has some ability. And I think he's sneaky. Lord Sheldon. He's 12-1 to 1 on the morning line. Anything over 8 will make a win wager there. In the 8th race, I'm looking at the number 2. Koalinga Road, who is 12-1 to 1 now. They'll need a little bit of luck. As far as the way the pace shapes up, can somebody else put a little pressure on big city lights? And I think the chosen Vron will try to be more forwardly placed in here. And if those two end up battling, maybe Phineas tries to get more position from the rail with the blinks. Koalinga Road, backing with Calbreds, ultra consistent, does not have to be so far back. That's the two. Koalinga Road at 12 to 1. And then in race number nine. We're looking at the number seven, Urban Fairy Tale, six to one on the morning line here. This one comes in to the Mike Pipey barn, comes in from Colonial. 
and gets away from a horse named Tass, who's a six-time winner. I think Urban Fairy Tale should sit a nice trip in here. If you toss the April race, the overall form looks really good. That's Urban Fairy Tale, six to one on the morning line. Anything around four will make a win wager there. Couple Saturday plays for you at Del Mar and at Gulfstream Park. Best of luck on Saturday. We will finish up with a deep dive, a scene-by-scene deep dive recap and review of Andor. But before we do, don't forget about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Visit her website, cindycarava.com, for all of your real estate needs. If you have any questions with anything, just contact Cindy. She'll take great care of you. Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster join to talk about Andor. Season 1, Episode 11 in a 12-episode season. So one more to come. We discuss everything. So major spoiler alert. And then we preview and make some predictions for the finale of Season 1. Star Wars fans, this show is awesome. So good. I'm really looking forward to the finale. So let's talk all about Episode 11. Finishing up with Episode 11 of Andor. At 11 of a 12-episode season. So we have one more to come. And I've been very lucky because Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster have been joining me basically for the uh, the entire season. I think since uh, since episode four, after they had that first three-episode debut, we've been talking with these fellas all the way through. And Trevor, they've done it again where the the way that this show is paced is so perfect. Because we have this huge action-packed episode 10 with a prison break where for about 30 minutes of the episode, there's just action, all these things going on. You can feel the anxiety. And then in this episode, you have to have another episode to kind of set things up and get the wheels in motion. And what they did is they set the scene so that in episode 12, we are going to have all of our main characters together on Ferrix. It's pretty cool the way they've done it. I mean, we're looking like Cassian, Deidre, Bix, Luthen, Vel, Cinta, Cyril could all end up on Ferrix for Marva's funeral. And we could get this awesome climax with everybody in the final episode of season one altogether. Can we get a bad episode? Like, I, I know, right? Like one to just, uh, that was I, I think great. this was it. And you're right. In, in quotes, you know, like you said, you know, they're setting up a lot. Um, and so because you have to set up a lot, you can't always have action set pieces because you have to have tension and release. I have to say this wasn't it was it was good because Andor is good. But of all the episodes, I think this was my least favorite. And it's because they had the least to, to do in this episode. Right. I think yeah, they had to. There had to be a lot of world building, a lot of a lot of putting pieces into place, mm-hmm. and that like just isn't chess. always necessarily. Yeah, that isn't always necessarily act, uh, exciting. But you know what, Michael? We got a couple aliens in here. I know people were begging for some aliens. We get to see some aliens right off the bat. These fishermen aliens, uh, and we'll talk about that. That was one scene that kind of confused me because they flipped really quick. <laughs> they looked like they were going to turn the guys in, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh no, we hate the Empire. Screw it. We'll let you go." Boom. Um, but we how didn't do you get give a... away how do you give away a star jumper? Like Yeah. A couple thousand uh, that, too. To me, yeah, that to me was like that to me was like uh, unbelie- unbelievable. Like I was I, I, I did not enjoy that moment because I'm like, these guys are just like, oh yeah, we hate the Empire, they poison their water. You can have our ship. 
We don't, we don't need that ship anymore. I think you maybe they it. gave him a ride. Uh, unless they did give them the ship. In no, which they case. straight up ran to the ship and ran, and, and which, you saw the guys like standing there watching them fly away. Oh, and then, and then what I thought was kind of funny was, you know, it wasn't even like it. Maybe they had some deal worked out or something because Cassian doesn't have anything until after that, right? If if Cassian had his credits and he said, "Oh, hey, look, I'll I'll take care of you. Give me that ship. We're good to go." But he doesn't even have anything at that point. He hasn't even gotten back to his stash quite yet, which is great. We get to. We get to look inside of a couple different guys' boxes in this show. His private right, box. We, we get to take a look at what's in your private box, Michael. If we got to. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't know we were going in this direction. Um, that was. I just. Love I'm losing Cyril, you. I'm losing you. I love when Cyril just says that, that last week that the private box and just the whole feel and and that they did a great job because with Cyril. We don't even really get to see what's in it. It just like looks like a bunch of jewelry and random stuff. But I'm so curious what is in his box. I want to see. He has it. ways of knowing, Gino. If you were to look in his box, he will know. He has ways. <laughs> he, he will feel it. He will feel that I have been in, in this box. I saw, now. you know, there was a little Easter egg. I saw a uh, a copy of uh, Play Hut. <laughs> in, in there with the with Cyril. You're, you're very generous laughing no. at that terrible no. joke. You know, it, I, well, I, no, it's just I, anything cereal related right now in the box is going to pop me. Anything cereal yeah. related with that is going to get me. And 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 his mom is just she's like the worst. Like every time <laughs> she appears on screen, I'm like, fast forward, please. Let's get her off screen. Which my my wife, we were watching it last night. My wife's like, I finally recognize who that is. Do you guys recognize who his mom is? I don't think so. No. So. Uh, you, I, I know Foss. I know Foster where he stands on this. You guys have both seen Harry Potter and all those movies, yes? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the squib that saves Harry when he's getting when he and Dudley are getting tormented by the Dementors. Oh my god! When gosh. he's still at the Dursleys' house, the the squib woman that doesn't have like magical oh. powers, but she knows who Harry is. That is Cyril's mom. Oh, that's so cool. But I mean, we hate we hate her now. But yeah, cool. Cyril, <laughs> she makes a comment too after after the phone call, like, "Oh, now I can go back to sleep after I've seen what you've done." She's just they picked a fantastic character. They cast her so well because in wrestling they call this go away heat. It's not even like the real like in re- you know if you get boos or cheers in wrestling, that's fine. That's what they want. They want you to get a response. But the go away heat is when. There's someone that's so annoying that people just want to change the channel. And that's almost, that's almost how the mom is, where it's just like, she's so cringy, but she does a fantastic job because that's what she's supposed to be. She's supposed to be this woman that just makes you want to, uh, you, you know, makes your skin curl. And Michael, she's the opposite of Marva, who we're finding out just passed away and she is so well-respected. And one of the things that I really love uh, about Star Wars or about any show when they do it. And it reminds me a little bit of what Star Wars was doing with uh, in the book of Boba Fett with the Tuscans. And some of those episodes were like the way that they paced that show was a little bit off, but I thought it was cool when we would see some of the world building. And I, I thought it was fascinating to hear about the ritual of Ferrix, what they do when someone passes away, the uh, like the funeral they actually like mix them into the cement basically and and kind of bury them in the bricks somewhere as a memorial it's it's kind of it's kind of creepy to hear but it's sort of fascinating it's yeah. something that you hear in like other cultures all the time 
it's really yeah i love the world building uh we get you know we hear about this uh this funeral funeral ritual which i kind of think is is kind of beautiful and then um also we learn a little bit more about the what chaladrian customs uh, oh, oh yeah yeah the uh the chantrillion the chantrill isn't this like very um like chandrillin the chandrillin there we go chandrillin thank you chandrillin isn't this very like they do a great job in Marvel of doing this, and it feels really like Star Wars is is played with a lot of things that are happening in modern day times with us right now, right? Like you, you, we kind of see this, a lot of people kind of going back to the old and maybe more of the conservative ways, and there's sort of a battle of extremism kind of happening. I thought this was fascinating and and how they presented it. Like, you know, her daughter's in sort of this it's almost kind of a cult type group. It's well, it's it's I, I can that's that's a miscon uh it's improv you know yeah, and, yes. and people call you know improv troops a cult but you know it's yeah it's, it's makeup ups <laughs> you know it's just fun so that's why foster couldn't tape later today because he has to go to his cult he has, to go to, he has to go to the improv cult a little bit later on listen yeah we do it all in the nude but listen the fundamentals are there <laughs> it's yes and okay always with the yes and <laughs> So we we actually cover a lot of ground while not like we check in with a lot of different people while not really moving forward a whole ton because we just have to make sure everybody is sort of set up for the finale on Ferrix. This episode was titled Daughter of Ferrix, and we will get into the scene by scene for episode 11. Now, the Daughters of Ferrix are basically like a, an organization of women who help around some of like the local organizations that any of your cities or towns might have. And it was an organization that Marva used to be a part of um, in her life. She just seems like someone who's really, really well-respected throughout Ferrix and, and someone that everybody knows around here. And we find out that she's uh she's passed away. But before we do, we open up the episode with our escapees, Melshi and Cassian. And they are, this is cliffhanger. They are literally dangling from a cliff near death. Hey, I know, I know Michael doesn't know this, but Melshi is in Rogue One. Michael, did you, did you catch that? Hold up. Melshi? The guy he escaped with? That's the same Melshi. It is the same one. It's, it's the very same dude. My my mind is blown. Do you mind if we like take like a two hour break and I'll go watch Rogue One? You want to watch Rogue One real quick? Yeah, let's stop. And what's great is that we can stop and people won't even know. There won't be like a two hour gap. They won't even realize. Like, we'll just pick it right back up as if you had understood all of this all along. So now, you know, it was Melshi in, uh, in Rogue One. Ah, good for And gosh, it's, it's amazing with technology, but now how, how quickly we can do all of this. And they're, so they're being, what 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 happens when you break out of prison, right, Trevor? They're being like they're being stalked. They're being looked at by the Imperials. The officers are looking for all the prison escapees, so they're trying to like hide on this cliff. And Melshi can barely hang on. You you see them? They they have no shoes. They've just had to swim to their safety. They've had to run, you know, on land. They don't really know where they are, and they're hiding. And they just look beat up, but they're able to hold on just long enough to get away from the uh, the patrolling empire and they actually come upon, uh, upon a couple of those fishermen that we talk uh, that we talk about the Narkina fishermen aliens what did you think of these locals that we uh, we ran upon here so first you know this podcast is making me nerdier yes um do, doing this with you guys is, is making me nerdier so 
first, like we've talked a bunch about how Cassian is changing. Um, and, and I don't know if necessarily it's making me nerdier, but it's making me see things in a different light, see things more. And you know, we've talked a bunch about Cassian changing and Cassian um, finding out who he is and starting to grow into the person we're going to see in Rogue One. And you see this with, with them on the cliffhanger where they're hanging on because he's just trying to give Melshi hope. Yep. Melshi's like, I can't, I can't. My, That's can't that my word, fingers. right? That's the key word always, hope. <laughs> always, always, always in Star Wars. But Melshi's like, you know, I can't move my fingers. I'm not going to be able to climb back up. And Cassian's like, they're leaving. They're leaving. And he's like, tell me they're leaving again. And he's like, tell me they're, 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 they're leaving. And like, he just keeps trying to build him up to keep him with him, to give him the hope so that they can work together to get out. And like, it's those seeds of leadership that we've been seeing. It's the seeds of him believing in some cause somewhere mm -hmm. that we've been seeing build through this entire thing. And like, we're seeing him take an active role now, as opposed to the passive roles that he's taken in Aldani or the behind the scene role that he took with the prison break and helping and let, and let and pushing Kino. He's now the active leader. And it's a great point you're making because at the very end of this episode, he even has a line that says that he, he wants to tell Marva what he's done because he's so proud of how he's becoming kind of inspired. Now. I think he wants to let her know, Hey, look, like I kind of have a cause too. And by the time he, he sort of feels it, she's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that sucks for him. Cause like it's, it's that whole, you know, it goes back to all the superhero tropes, all the good movie tropes that you, you just can't have parents. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you can't, you can't impress your parents. Um, and, uh, mine are still around. You're never going to be a hero. With us. I was going to say no, no superhero for you. No star in the, uh, in the star Wars for foster. And what's what we've seen with the title screen now, um, just like little things. Now they add more instruments to it it's like an orchestra and in reading one of the um, oh I, I skip that every time i know and it's kind of cool. like we don't skip it every time and I'm, i've always been like this is so bland but last night i didn't feel that and now i understand why thank you gina uh, and they were talking about how it's sort of like more and more people from different places joining the rebellion so now you've got this band instead of like one instrument or two instruments now you've got like an orchestra of all these people lining up that we're seeing with, you know, uh, everybody in Ferrix and with Saw and with Luthen and with Melshi and with Cassian. So we see the women now on Ferrix. They're helping to clean up Marva's house. She, she died. Guys, I got to say what happens next, Michael, this, like, I got a tear actually watching this. This is like, and this hit me back every, both times I watched this and man, B2 emo, this droid. Oh, yeah. He just plays at your heartstrings. He's like a child and a puppy. Release this, the like, B2 emo Funko Pop already. Come on. Combine. I mean, right before Christmas, right? This thing is going to be a, a big seller. I feel like, oh, this poor droid, he feels he's not just a machine. You can hear it in his voice. I thought they did an incredible job with, with this droid, just making you feel so sad. Yeah, I that's I you know I made a note of like the things that that I I cared about the most in this episode were B two emo and then the stuff with Luthen on the Fondor at the end and yeah you really you really feel for him it's so sad okay quick question though we don't actually 
and and I'm like 90% sure Marva's dead dead. No, but this you have to mention this. We don't see her dead. Yeah, you don't see like them actually like covering her. You do you see a body a body get kind of wheeled out. Yeah, um, yeah. You see them put a body onto like the 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 vehicle of whatever the whatever that is outside. See, there is a body. We don't specifically see that it's hers, but what? we do see a body. So if she is dead, and again, I'm like ninety percent sure because I and we, I agree with you because I think it makes the most sense, like the weight of it, what we what Cassian has experienced, right? It makes sense for her to be gone, but it, it was crazy that we didn't see it. Like we never we know in like Marvel, Star Wars, all these things, if you don't see someone die on camera, they're probably coming back. Yeah, there's got to be. I'm I'm wondering what the what the reason is behind that, but um, yeah, it's really depressing. And you know, we saw how shit how uh, sick she was. Um, I think in the last episode or two, and uh, doing you know whatever she was doing in her mind to uh you know to side with the rebellion and fight the empire. And so, uh, R.I.P. A good episode for our guy Brasso, though. I thought he came off very, very looking very good in here. He he's got to take care of of B two now. This poor droid has just lost his mother, basically, and and Cassian, his family. B2 was with Marva and with Cassian forever. Now they're both gone, and this droid is there alone, and you hear it in his voice. He says, I, I, don't, I did, don't, don't want to be alone. I want m- m- Marva. Poor, poor little B2. But Brasso comforts the droid, and they all, like, in any situation after a, a, a loss, they try to power together uh, as a group. Some of the people around Marva who cared about her most and this sad little droid B2 who just wants to have someone there. And Brasso does a nice job of making sure throughout the episode that B2 isn't alone. In fact, when he comes back, they stay one more night at the place just to let B2 continue to grieve. So I thought a beautiful so Bra- scene. Brasso lives there now. That's, that's Brasso's right? house. That's so never that, this, and it makes you like, gosh, between B2 and like R2, now you start thinking about all of these droids through the years that have just been blasted. And it's like, man, these droids feel things. Because now I'm doing the math in my head and I'm just starting to go back and feel for all these, all these droids. Like R2's so sassy. C3PO's just, you know, C3PO. Um, God, th- this one, this one hurt me. B2. Ma- I- Ma- Ma- Marva usually watches Gilmore Girls. <laughs> this one's, I'm going to get me a B2 for Milo for Christmas for sure. Because <laughs> at least then I can play with this guy here. So uh, the people of Ferrix all watch as the body gets taken away. Like we said, we, we don't know that it's Marva. Everybody says it's Marva. We're assuming that it's Marva, but we haven't seen it. But it's not as if I, I don't know. I, I don't know, you know what their trick. Not like, not to not to belabor the point about not seeing Marva's body, but like Cinta saw, like Cinta knows who Marva is. That's a and great. We point. never see Cinta. We never see her send word, but word gets back to Vel that Cassian's mom died. And that's a great word point. Gets back to Luthen that Cassian's mom. Like word is getting out that Cassian's mom died. Because they're trying to get that message out to Cassian and trying to get like because everybody's trying trap. to lure yeah they're trying to lure Cassian back so everybody knows and like we've got multiple entities saying that his mom died so I, I feel like we're, we we can pretty pretty surely say she she's gone all right, because all right. I, 90, 90% ISP is saying, sure now. 
yeah, the ISB is saying it. The rebels are saying it. Like you've got multiple conf- multiple sources of confirmation. Yeah. It's trending on space Twitter. It's, it's, it, it just is weird. It, it had to be mentioned that we hadn't seen her because like we've been we've been registered to you know that that goes off in our head if we don't see someone the death on screen we assume and uh, i wonder if we do get like a flashback of kind of what happened in her final moments or we see that there might have been something um that went on as we check back in with melshi cassian and the couple of the local aliens with the ship and it and Cassian and Melshi are scoping out the scene. It looks like it's just these two local aliens, but it's funny. Cassian is just sharp. He's so perceptive. Whereas Melshi at this point, we've seen Melshi is kind of a little, he's a little more broken now. Melshi's hands were struggling. Cassian was the one who was kind of having to keep Melshi going. So Melshi just sees that they might have an opportunity. There's a quad jumper and there's these two local aliens. So Melshi just makes a run for it. Cassian's like, wait, are you sure? And he he's just, he's forced. Cassian's like, ah, crap, I got to go follow him. And so they both start running. All of a sudden, they get caught by the uh, these local fishermen. They get trapped in some netting. These aliens are funny, funny, goofy guys here too. They have a, a funny uh, um, way of speaking. I thought they look cool for aliens. Um, yeah, the, great design. Very vis- fun. Visual is fun. Yeah, fun for them too. Just like just different. And they actually talk about the reward they will get for the prisoners, Trevor. And and what we find out is that these local fishermen, like most of the like the regular people, they hate the Empire because the Empire built these prisons in their waters and it screwed up all their fishing. Probably ruined the way that they make money, ruined the way they can eat. They just talked about how, man, and not like it used to be, huh? Um, you know, we, we uh, the uh, not like it used to be, no biggie dinner tonight like pastimes. Uh, the water spoil here and far. That's the Empire, though. So they don't like the Empire. They don't like the prisoners because the prisoners represent the prison and the Empire. But for them, it's not necessarily about hating the, the people like Cassian and Melshi. It's about hating the empire. And I think they, they quickly kind of change their tune because they don't really care about a reward and they don't really care about the money. They just kind of want to stick it to the people that have been sticking it to them. You guys don't like the empire. We don't like the empire. Take our quad jumper. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's it, like I said, in, in the opening it, thoughts about this, it just, it's, it's kind of a weird it almost I, felt I like there was a part it. missing, didn't it? It felt like yeah. there was there was the part, Michael, where like yeah. Cassian and Melshi do something or say something to get these guys to to change a little yeah. bit. Yeah, like you know, maybe we'll let you have the quad jumper if you do this. Or yeah, they they you know, we needed like an impassioned uh you know Kino Cassian speech, right? Kiss. Yeah, we charismatic need, we need speech. An <laughs> there was some weird stuff going on. They were asking them to do some weird stuff. It got weird. They were in the nets, they right? I know. I was Disney like, Plus. the nets were cool. Yeah, they were like, they, they were pretty they, cool. They were like, a, like biological, and or maybe they were just wet from they, fishing. I don't know, but they, I, yeah, I, they, and they cool. reminded me of like, um, like you know, in the in in the movie It, like the original It, like the the webbing that they like the cocoons that they have all the people trapped in. They were sort of like a scary movie 
thing that you would see like a spider shoot at someone. Oh yeah, I, it, I got I got thoughts. I was thinking of like uh, Lord of the Rings and she. There we go. The, Absolutely. The Absolutely. That that's that's where we were here. But yeah, this this scene was a little like I said. There might have been something missing, but the aliens quickly changed their mind. Screw the Empire, I guess, and they uh, help Cassian and Melshi, and they give them an opportunity now to. You know, to get away, they give them a ship and they have a quad jumper and they're off. So Cassian and Melshi now have made their full escape. They are on their own now with the opportunity to move from place to place. But but a, a real key scene in between the uh, the checking in with the, uh, the Narkinians, we have Deidre talking with the ISB agents about Marva's death. And Michael, this is where we see the ISB talk about how they basically want to set up a trap using her funeral. And this is where they they talk about the customs of the funeral. So as a prominent citizen of Ferrix, they will have a big send-off. They'll want to close Rick's Road. They'll ask for a permit. They know we won't allow it, but they're going to keep asking. They're building a list of grievances. Deirdre says, hey, we want a funeral. Give them a permit. Keep it small. Limit the time. Limit the numbers. We want to put them in a box, stand back and watch. And then they inform her, okay, here's what's going to happen. It's a two-day ceremony. The dead are bricked. And then they mix the ashes with mortar and local stone dust. They put the name on it and they fire it up. And you become a block of ferric bricks. And then they find you a wall that's basically like your tomb. They put you into a burial, but it's in a weird way. Like I said, it's it's... It's kind of creepy when you think about it, but it's pretty beautiful too, Michael, because you get to be a part of the city around them forever. And I feel like we're going to get some scene where somebody takes a brick of Marva and is using it to throw at the Empire, right? We got to get a brick of Marva going at the Empire. Yeah, I mean, the thing about this episode, the thing it did best was it just got me excited for episode 12. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's got to be this climax. It's got to be amazing here uh, at the funeral. I, you know, in that, you know, there's that 8% chance that she's still alive. And I really want her to like bust <laughs> to out, out and kind of like pop out with like a Tommy gun or something, yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's John wooing blasters, you know, <laughs> taking out stormtroopers. Uh, I don't think we'll get that. Uh, but I imagine we'll get something. Uh, oh, here's, you know, I bet, I bet we're going to see uh, his sister's going to show up. That's, making, that's where, right? I'm we got to get her at some point because we've, we kind of, we've, dipped away from that for the last couple episodes and it can't be by coincidence that um we haven't heard much about Cassian's sister recently so uh, that's another thing where I'm sure we'll get back to in uh, episode 12 but we get to Luthen and it, we haven't even mentioned what Luthen will do and one of the most badass things we've ever seen in any Star Wars coming up in just a little bit but we're at Luthen's shop at the art shop and Vel goes to meet with Clea, and Vel is pissed. Like, she's looking for Luthen. She's like, hey, remember what I did? Remember the robbery? I got all this money for everyone. I'm, like, supplying this whole thing. Me and this small group of people put all of our lives on the line for everyone, and now Luthen doesn't even give me any FaceTime? I can't even get him on the phone here? What the hell is going on? Vel also has some information to give. She wants to let Clea know that Marva is dead. And Clea, gosh, we keep finding out, she feels like she's so much more than just, like, Luthen's assistant. 
I have a constant blur of plates spinning, knives on the floor, needy, panicked faces at the window, of which you are one, uh, you are but one of many, she tells Vel. Uh, but she uh, tells Vel, look, if you have information, let me know. I'll make sure Luthen gets it. And Vel says that Cassian Andor's mother died. Cinta says it's very busy. I'm leaving in the morning. So Vel will be headed to Ferex to meet with Cinta. They are going to be waiting there for Cassian Andor. They have been given instructions to kill Cassian. And this was an interesting back and forth between uh, Vel and, I mean, Clay is such an interesting character, Trevor, because she feels like she's more important. And I don't know, maybe we're going to find out that she has more strings, or if not, she's just someone who is fantastic at her job. And she's a damn good secretary, as we've said. So there's three ways that this can go. She's she's either a damn good secretary and Luthen's second in command, basically, but she's the shadow person and and helps him keep all the plates when he's off, you know, doing whatever on you know on on his ship. She's the one holding things down. She's like the the secretary um, that uh, uh, Chris Pine has in <laughs> Wonder Woman. Yes, like she's the one running around making everything happen, or real puppet master and Luthen's like more of a figurehead or spy. She literally is nothing. And, and you know, <laughs> she thinks she's bigger than she is, or she could yeah. be a spy. So I guess there's four ways they could go. And, but yeah, um, I, I, I like, you know, Vel, Vel has had an interesting arc because she's constantly wants to be more involved and more in the know, but also seems to be unhappy with how things are going, which maybe is why she's wanting more information mm-hmm. and knowledge. And so she just like completely breaks co- protocol here and like goes into the shop and straight up talks to her about it when that's yeah, not how you're supposed she, to do that, things. That's a great point, right? They have a way, they have a system. You don't just walk in, like everything has to be very calculated because they don't know who's listening to them. They don't know who's watching, who's paying attention. And you can't just walk into the store and say, oh, hey, Luthen, I need to talk. You know, it's it's got to be all set up. And Vel, Vel's kind of at the point where she's she's losing her patience. She doesn't care anymore. Can I also say that I'm I'm worried about Luthen and his finances? There's never anybody in that store. I know. I was going to say, how are they paying the rent? Honestly. they Yeah, they should have they should have had like um her like maybe sell something like maybe a customer walked out the door or something. Yeah. You know, to let us know that they actually – you know, maybe they do get a customer every now and then. I agree. Come on, Luthen. Like, you got to get, like, have a, you know, have some sort of, like, a promotional events over there. Just so it looks like you got some foot traffic in the door. As uh, It's a ghost town at the art dealership. Come on Luthen... down, the crazy Luthens. <laughs> right. I want to see a commercial. Yeah. Everything Go-go. must go. Everything must go. <laughs> you want antiquities? We got antiquities. <laughs> as we check back in oh, with poor B2. Brasso goes back to get B2 and the we actually see that on Ferrix there's an undercover ISB agent and what's what's kind of funny is him and Cinta are both in the in a bar interacting with each other and I don't know if either one of them knows that they're a double agent like they don't really know that the other one is is also spying on Cassian and it's funny they kind of have like little small interactions with each other Cinta's working in the bar. That's her cover. 
in order to keep her there on Andor. So that way she can keep an eye on everything that's going on and watch for Cassian. And this ISB agent's doing the same thing. He's just sort of plotted there waiting so that way he can find when Cassian comes back. And they don't realize that they're both just kind of talking to each other. It was just a little fun scene um, as poor B2. B2 doesn't want to leave his home. And as, uh, what did you say that, Michael? Uh, or was it you, Trevor, that said, yeah, Brasso's living there. That's Brasso's home now. He, he, just, he doesn't get to go because B2 wants to stay there. B2 has all these memories. And good old Brasso agrees. And then at the at the end of this interaction, B2 makes this like whimpering noise that sounded exactly like it was like a gizmo in, in gremlins i was like oh man just it got me here trevor and uh good on our guy brasso but i feel like b2 is gonna have a big moment in the finale too right i mean they i feel like he's got to they've been building him up so much and like they build him up because everybody loves him and that's what you do with a character that everybody loves you you build him up you give him more screen time they probably looked at Baby Yoda and they were like, B2 is our Baby Yoda. Um, yep. But at the same time, like Baby Yoda finally had a payoff where he wasn't just this little thing that everybody had to protect and everybody was trying to get. And, uh, you know, you want the same for B2 where at some point he's going to have a moment where he does something and everybody's like, oh, God, that was great. You just have no idea what it's going to be or where, where it's coming from or when it's coming. This next scene is horrifying, Michael, as – we we're basically inside of Bix's head as she's reliving some of the yeah. torture that she's been through. And this is like Bix Requiem for a dream. <laughs> she yes. looks right. She looks awful. I made a note. I was like, she looks like she looked into the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, you know, gosh, the makeup is so good. And, and you know, know what's funny is that like in a weird way, she still sort of looks attractive. Like she's such a good looking girl that they oh, yeah, try. She's, she's still a smoke show. They try Absolutely. so hard to make her look like worn down and beaten and battered. And I'm like, while I'm looking at her, I'm like, yeah, she's still pretty cute. You know, look, she's she still... looks okay, but she's not more attractive than my wife. Hey, oh, sitting right there. That's beautiful. Well done. Yep. Trevor. Yep. Some brownie yep. points, brownie points there. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, Trevor's wife. Uh, Dunch. Sorry, that was great. That was great. Oh, I'm gonna have to bump the rating now on our show to like NC17 a little bit here as uh, as we're dropping some zingers. Um, Michael, it again. They do a really good job with the big stuff here because she doesn't even say anything. Like no, literally. we don't know. We don't know if she's like incapable of like forming words after the. You know the the torturous like auditory experience she had, because um, I don't get the sense that she's being um, defiant. No, in, in this moment, but maybe maybe she is. Maybe it's like a quiet defiance. It's it's kind of um, unclear because uh, what she gets shown a, peach, a picture of a Krieger who I don't think we've met. No, but, um, and they're trying to associate Krieger with I think Axis, right? And, and so that's to- where things have been con- <clears throat> confusing in that they think. Krieger is Axis, and it's really kind of Luthen, right? Like Luthen is really Axis, and so I think like Luthen sort of knows that if he can kind of play Krieger off, it'll buy him and the re- the rest of the rebellion some more time. And and we see that Luthen is very willing to give up this guy Krieger and an entire group of people for the rebellion. Trevor, this was this was a uh, an interesting scene because as Michael was pointing out, we actually never see Bix say anything. We never see her give any information up, 
but they ask her if Krieger was the buyer. Is Krieger the man that she met that she introduced to Cassian? And you wonder if she maybe just says yes to try to buy her some time, maybe get yeah, whatever. You're getting tortured, right? You want to, at, at some point you're going to break. Do you think she she just agrees to what they're saying and says, yeah, it, it is Krieger? Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to to talk about the torture, we have no idea what the toll is. And, like, we saw that Pac, um, you know, they literally, Miro said, we, we want to hang him, whatever's left of him. Like, we don't know how much of a toll this thing has taken on her. And so, yeah, she's probably just, like, nodding along, like, yeah, I'll do just about anything to get out of this so that I don't have to experience any more of this because it, it's torture. And I saw a note that somebody had posted about, you know, the echo of that door closing in the last episode with her behind it and them about to torture her harkens back to A New Hope when Leia's about to get tortured. And that just makes you, that first, that makes the, the scene with Leia feel that much more horrifying. But it gives you an, even more of a boost of how strong and resilient Leia is because we see what this is taken out of Bix. And, like, the next scene we see Leia in, she's pretty much ready to go and good to go and and, and ready to, to take up the cause. Um, so, yeah. yeah by, I mean, by the way, Trevor, you know, it, it has been revealed um, that the torture that Leia experiences in A New Hope, um, they're forcing her to watch the prequels. <laughs> That's It's like, it's like what was, was it the second Adam's Family? Adam's Family values when they put the kids in the room and they, they open their eyeballs and they make them watch all those, like, like sitcoms and like all the all the comedy like yeah, the fun yeah the the, the, like the family movies and, yeah, yeah yeah all the all those so that's what I'm thinking right here and what's fascinating is we go Michael from one of the all time incredible heroines of Star Wars Leia to someone whose name sounds like her but couldn't be more opposite Leia who is uh, the daughter of Mon Mothma who is a part of this group of young girls. It's uh, in these Chandrillian customs. It's like a like a young religious group, and they they chant about the old ways and the old customs, safe in the knot of the old ways. It's it almost looks like <clears throat> the daughter is just rebelling against her mom because you know Mon is Ooh, so yeah. against right. Like Mon is so against some of these old ways that this is just something for like her teen daughter to say like screw you, mom. I want to do the opposite. But Mon is telling Vel as they both, it's like they're watching their daughter finish up with, you know, practice for, uh, a, you know, something that she's in, you know, a group or a club that she's in. And as Vel and Mon watch this, keep in mind that, like, Mon is older. And so Mon has become much more progressive. And Vel is even way more progressive because she's like the next generation. So for the two of them to see the younger generation going back to the old ways, wanting to be in a situation where like men rule and, um, you know, she's going to be put up in a, she's going to be like able to get married in an arranged marriage when she's like, 15 years old. This is something that leaving, but her daughter does. And Mon even mentions, this is the only thing she shows up for on time. It's, it's like, she loves it. I, I don't push her. Nobody's pushed her. She does all of this on her own. And, and, and so we actually kind of get to the point at the end, Michael, where Mon mentions like 
her daughter Leda won't even mind if she's put up for marriage here, which Davos Golden proposed in the last episode. And, and now we're sort of seeing like Mon is going to have to like sacrifice her family for the cause. Yeah, her her arc is really um kind of disturbing in in this first season. It is. She's so beaten down. Like you see the tears, you know, Vel, she and Vel are both like horrified. And she's like, you know, it's all Lita. Lita wants to do this. And, you know, it, you know, Lita will probably be okay with this arranged marriage, uh, because I gotta get that money and, and clean up my my money mess. And uh it's really it's really depressing. I hope I hope she gets some kind of uh hero moment. Not to say that she hasn't been a hero this whole time, but you know, some kind of a really cool moment where she pops in uh episode twelve. I agree, because Trevor, I mean it's like, you really feel for her. She's getting it all over the place. Like, she took the money out from her other family's accounts. Now she's going to, like, and, and the people that she's working with, Luthen, she's not even communicating very well with them right now. And and so you, she's probably got all these emotions, like, I'm sacrificing all this money. I'm putting myself in jeopardy. What am I doing this for? My family, like my kid, who is someone that I probably would normally you think about doing things for your kids, right? For your for the future. Why am I doing something that might be altruistic? You know what? I'm thinking about my family or I'm doing what's right. That's probably what she was thinking. And now she's looking down at her daughter who doesn't even care. This is such a weird arc. And you as Michael was hitting on, I think you just feel bad for Mon Mothma. Yeah, it's something I've talked about multiple times over the course of us doing this podcast together. Is just, she just she you, she cannot get a win. She lives of I think of all the people that we've seen in this, she probably has the worst life. There may be people that are worse off that don't get to eat at the end of the day and everything like that. But the double life that she's being forced to live. Mm-hmm. You know, like Lonnie, we saw Lonnie last episode and he was complaining about his double life. And, and Luthen says he's sacrificed everything, but nobody is like in more forward danger. Like she at all is times. Yeah, she is visibly at all times. Visibly, she's the public figure that it's going to all come back tied to. Right. And then when she goes home, she has to continue that lie. Like when Luthen goes home, he's just by himself. He gets to go back to the when, shop with Clea and like right. and let loose for a minute. And like Vel right. gets to have that with Cinta. Like everybody has that. When Lonnie really goes was... home, he gets his he gets his new baby. You know, it, mm-hmm. and she just has like she goes home and she thinks she, you know, as we've speculated, her husband might be spying on her. Her daughter hates her. She like she's been taking her family's money. Um, like she just there's never a moment where she can breathe and I, I you just feel so horrible for her and really it it, it puts um mon mothma's character in a new light like you know you, you never see thought any in, of this when you see her yeah. in rogue one right you had no or clue about or or in the in the second or in the the original trilogy when you see her like the first time i saw her in the original trilogy i was like why is she giving me orders like who is this lady exactly but like this is doing such a great job of you know that's that's one of the things about these these prequel things that we've got happening is it it not necessarily but I guess extended universe is is probably the better I know mm-hmm. that that's what they call the book series it just it gives so much more light to folks that never read those extended universe which are now the legends uh, books 
it get, it gives so much more light and so much more perspective on these characters that we saw for two minutes, you know, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and like, it, it's just, it's pretty incredible and, and really frames her in, in such a new light. And you have such a respect for that character and feel so bad for her. Many, uh, many Bothans died to give us Disney plus. <laughs> You're such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you got some zingers this morning from Foster. As, I, as... I knew the second you opened your mouth, you were just going to throw out a zinger after I had this like heartfelt compassionate <laughs> speech about how great Mon Mothma is. That, that was very MCU, right? Like, down. Marvel does that all the time. Like they have this like beautiful speech and then like Robert Downey Jr.'s got like a, a zinger right afterwards, right? So there you go, Foster. You're Robert Downey Jr. There you go, buddy. As uh, yeah, Mon tells Vel everything. Look, they, they're on me. I thought they could help me replace the credits, Tycoma, but they just discovered I'm in a lot of trouble. Not much time. I got to put all this money back. So she tells her what ha- what's happening. I found a solution. And it's it's heartbreaking. You know, we're probably going to see her have to put her daughter up in this arranged marriage. And we go from one dysfunctional family to the next. Cyril Karn, he gets a wake up from his mom. It's a call from his old um, co-worker, Sergeant. Yeah, the, the sergeant. His, Linus Mosk. Linus Mosk, who says, uh, apologies, sir. I'm on the night shift. And he's using this. He's he calls him on the uh, on the, on the Skype here on their little FaceTime, and uh, they need an upgrade on on poor Sergeant yeah. Mosk's side right here yeah. here. Uh, you got to use the Ethernet. I was gonna say plug in and do the upgrade. <laughs> and I mean, bad reception here. Great. Turn video. your camera off. Turn your yeah. camera off yeah. so it's audio only. We do that yeah. all the time on this podcast. I was gonna Turn say camera off. stronger connection. Camera off as. Sergeant oh Moss gives him the important information. Hey, look, you wanted news if I had any about Andor. There are still a few pre-more holdouts working in the office. They're helping with the Imperial transition. My old partner works the night desk. He found me this afternoon and told me that Cassian Andor's mother has passed away. And there's lots of back and forth with Coruscant about it. In Sergeant Moss is basically trying to tell uh, Cyril, hey, look. He's going to show up, right? I wouldn't put it past him to get there. So the wheels start spinning in Cyril's head. And his mom says, as she's watching this whole thing in the background, oh, the mystery of your former triumphs have been vanquished. I can sleep peacefully now. She goes back in her room. She's so weird. I, I related so hard to this conversation because my mom is very hard of hearing. And <laughs> and, uh, and and my mom is not very good at like... Uh, using context clues or inferring what people meant to say. So, you know, it could be something like, Hey mom, how was your day? And she'll be like, huh? You had a meeting with Michael Bay. I'm like, and it's just like, you know, yes, mom. Flat, I flat, you know, face palm. Yeah. I'm directing the new transformers. movie. That's, that's me. Shia was also in the meeting with us too. And the, the, um, uh, the, the lovable Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Karn here. Then, then we got to hear the voice, Trevor, of our buddy Nemec for just a moment. The manifesto! Yeah, we it got it. It still exists. It does. In audiobook and, form. And I, it's in a it's in his private box, which is exactly what we've been saying. It's in the private box in the, the it hotel is, it is room. Audible. <laughs> it's in the hotel. I was gonna say. I wanted to hear I want to hear Nemec during the record. I damn it, no, take two. 
right? Like, just like we're doing, ah, you know what? I don't like the way my, my voice was paced that time. Uh, let me, let me do it again. Let me do it again. Let me go a little faster this time. Okay. Uh, here we go. So they're back in Niamos where, which is kind of creepy for Cassian, right? This is where he got arrested all along. I'm like, man, be careful. This is where they got you. Last you want to talk creepy. There's two sleeping aliens in that bed when he's in his private box in the shower. I know. And he goes right in and he gets the box of the credits and the blaster and the manifesto that he had. So his stash, um, when he went to Neamos right after the heist, he has back. So now Cassian actually has some credits, has some weapons, and has the opportunity to move around a little bit. He can get places now. And most importantly, he has Nemec's manifesto. But that was a key moment, just seeing little thing. They showed us that Cassian got everything back. We were asking these questions. What's going to happen to the credits, to the manifesto? Where is it? Now they showed us. And we're we're just probably led to believe that Cassian is listening to this more and more and has at least listened to this. And now with the things that he's been through on top of the words from Nemec, I think it'll all sort of be the catalyst that points him in the direction of the rebellion on top of the, the death of his mom, Marva. There are so many little things now pushing Cassian to believe in a cause more than just the guy that we saw in the first couple episodes of this season, just worried about his sister, just worried about himself. But Luthen, Michael, is just worried about himself in a weird way. Um, it's all about the rebellion, but he doesn't care if he has to sacrifice anyone for the rebellion. We have this really, really awesome back and forth with Luthen and Saw Guerrera here where neither one of them really wants to be completely honest with the other, in particular Luthen. And and Saw tells Luthen, okay, the plan that you had last time we meet we met, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Uh, but Luthen tells him, no, you know what? We can't do it. The ISB knows about Krieger's plan. They'll be waiting for him. And Luthen just tells Saw, hey, look, We've got to sacrifice them. 30 men and Krieger. We have to do it or the ISB is going to know. And this is a, a, a really pivotal moment because Luthen shows Saw what he's willing to, I guess, do for the cause. He doesn't care who has to die for the what they will say is the greater good. And it's funny because we kind of think of Saw Guerrera as this crazy unhinged guy, but he's not even there yet. Like Luthen kind of pushes him to become that guy who's willing to sacrifice everything. Yeah, I love uh, in this scene. It's well, it starts off in the best way, right? You got to put Luthen in this uncomfortable position. He's like, "Okay, the thing with Krieger, I'll do it. I'm in." But here, I got conditions, and he's, he he literally rattles off this list of like, he's like, "I don't take orders. I won't take, you know, I won't take tactical orders from." Krieger. We get to loot the Eastern Garrison. And it's so <laughs> funny, and then Luthen's like, um, "Not happening." So yeah, don't don't do that, huh? But there's 30 what? men in this. Oh, God, I love this through line where he's like, but that's 30 men plus Krieger. Plus Krieger. <laughs> he keeps saying plus Krieger. Yeah. It's so great. It is. And, and it's uh, like, why? When he says it, so why? Good. Is it like, is Krieger the equal of the 30 men? Is he the most important? It's, it's like, screw Krieger. We don't even want to call him a man. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, he's, he's, he's he, like, it's like important to him to to be like, no, it's actually going to be like 31 people. Like. Yeah, like to yeah, differentiate. Like, I'm aware of the of the sacrifice, and it, it's so interesting to see Luthen. He's you know he's so confident and everything, and then but in this scene he's pretty uncomfortable because he's actually he he's having to talk to somebody other than Clea 
about this like decision and um and this is really- about as honest as we see luther yes. right Yes, he doesn't say who his informant is. He actually tries to spin it on tubes at the end, which is pretty funny. He's like, it's your guy, tubes. <laughs> it's your boy. Tubes is the guy. Is like, it was always tubes. That was so funny. Tubes is like, <laughs> he's like, WTF? What? What? But that, I thought that was pretty great. And uh, what, so, so, uh, sorry to interrupt, but no, no, please. The, what, what it took me as is when he says, when he keeps saying plus and Krieger, when he keeps saying that, keeps reiterating that, it's, you know, we talked about this being like chess and, and you having to set up the chess pieces on your board in order to do what you want to do. Um, it, it's like sacrificing your queen. Like this is sacrificing one of his generals. That's it's sacrificing. Yes. It's sacrificing something for the greater good because you're going to do something else. It's a great point. And Saw asks, what if it was me instead of Krieger? What would you do? Luthen says, eh, he doesn't know me. I'm not vulnerable if he's captured. He said, he, you know, I've met him, but he hasn't seen me. I love, he just doesn't mince words. And I love, I know about the it's character. so great. He's like, well, he doesn't know my face. He can't turn me in. You can. So pretty simple. And so, so I was like, oh, I guess you're right. I can get you in some trouble, but Luthen lays it out for him. It's your decision saw, but know the choice. Do we let Krieger go down and play the long game? Or do we warn him and throw away a source that's taken years to cultivate? And Saw asks him, you have people everywhere, don't you? Someone at the ISB? Do you have someone <laughs> infiltrating me? He just goes, he just goes full paranoid. And then he turns, and, and then Luton kind of laughs. And that's when he, he says tubes, which is really funny. It's like, yeah, you're your guy, tubes. And tubes over here. Tubes tells me everything. And uh My name he, is he looks at tubes. He goes, tell him, <laughs> tell him tubes. He deserves to know. <laughs> tubes and just rah, 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 rah. and and then they saw kind of laughs afterwards he's like what what kind of game are you playing here and like Tre- trevor you keep hitting it chess is, is like a perfect way these guys are are moving the pieces around the board 4D chess excuse me 4d chess yes yes <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's 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 like you when he goes full paranoid like the the up until that moment, the Saw Gerrera we've seen is like a different person than who we see in Rogue One. But when he goes full paranoid and he's like, you've got someone in my organization, right? Like that's the Saw Gerrera we see in Rogue One. Like this man is unhinged. And like, is this the moment that he unhinges himself? Like, is he like he was he was paranoid and suspicious the first time we saw him. But he wasn't like, you've got somebody planted in my organization. And when we see him in Rogue One, like. I think it's called poor gullet, the the monster that like makes you tell the truth and 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 screws you up, and they they give the imperial pilot to it, and like he's twitchy for the rest of the movie. <laughs> like th- this is maybe maybe saw used poor gullet on himself, and that's what what screwed him up for the rest of of all time. Right, right here, he starts to uh, to become a different guy. You're right. Like we see the uh, the he's like really really cautious really um and and becoming crazy about it like you know really thinks that uh, there could be someone at all places like luthan like a spy a double agent luthan reassures him one more time i'm doing this so you'll listen listen krieger goes down the isb will feel invincible they feel untouchable we have a clear field to play on the alternative if krieger's out we wave him off they know 
They'll have to wonder. They'll trust nothing just like you right now. Because if I were ISB, why wouldn't I just send you out there with him? I didn't want you to have to make this choice. And they say it one more time. 30 men plus Krieger. For the greater good, call it what you will. Let's call it war. So we have war. Just a quick check-in with Cyril and his secret box. (laughs) As we've mentioned, we can't really see this thing though, right, Michael? I mean, I'd like some jewelry, couple like little artifacts from from his old work, but we got to get another look at the box. He's got a Zune, space Zune with (laughs) fully loaded with jizz. (laughs) Some pictures of Deidre in there. Just oh yeah, he he would yeah. I I think I already talked about that. He he would have the charcoal sketches of of, uh, of Deidre and and Andrew just in there. sitting. He's just sitting in a park watching her walk by, and he he does a little bit of the sketch every day. Yeah, it's like how did you get those? How did you get those photos? That's just it's like is she working out? This is weird. What? It's creepy. Uh, <laughs> but damn, he's talented. I I know. As um, we it's always talk, a uh, we had oh uh, yeah this. Next scene, it's amazing that, you know, we are 40 years into Star Wars, what, 50 years into Star Wars, and we still are able to see things that make me go, wow, like, I can't remember seeing anything like that before. And we have a a little back and forth with Luthen and with Clea, because Luthen leaves from Saw Gerrera, and he speaks with Clea. Clea lets him know about her meeting with Vel, and what happened with Marva. So now Luthen wants to go to Ferrix. He wants to go try to speak with Cassian, kill Cassian, whatever. I don't know if he wants to either recruit him again or actually just get rid of him because Cassian is one of the few people who actually knows Luthen and can tie Luthen back to all of this. And he's one of the loose ends. I, but, by the way, they're, they're and they're of course they're they're speaking in code the whole time. Yeah, I, would, and, I love when they do this in the shops. Yes, and, and you know I love when they do this. And I wanted it to like go on for like three more minutes. Me too. I where, do. I, and eventually, I, they're you know they just break character. They're like, we're talking about Andor, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, like, okay. That but, canary piece. What's the status of it? Yeah, it was really really cool. Like you said, they 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 talk in complete code as they don't know who's listening and if anyone is in, is able to intercept their communications because that's how the Empire has gotten a lot of their best information so far, intercepting some of the comms. But as the the conversation with Luthen and Clea is happening, all of a sudden we hear that the comms get a little staticky. And Luthen gets caught by an arrestor cruiser. This thing is awesome. It's called a Cantwell-class arrestor cruiser. And you feel that, right? Don't you? You feel that, like, when you see this thing, you feel that initial, like, Star Wars feeling, like, uh-oh. Yeah. Ah, a first catch of the day. Uh-oh. So Luthen gets caught by these this tracker. And what's really cool, um, these were basically, like, I mean, they're like bounty hunters. They're, you know, they're patrol uh, to, to go catch criminals. And they have a huge, powerful tractor beam that looks like a satellite dish. And so, you know, they catch Luthen and they want to run his plates. Just like any, you know, if you get stopped for speeding. This is, this is what would happen here. And Luthen, this is not his first rodeo. He has a plan. He's been here. He's done this. He just needs an active train. He needs an ID. So he asks his droid. The droid gets him an Alderaan ID, which has got to be a little bit of a nod to Bail Organa. 
I think, a shout to him because Bale was someone who was really big and helping in the early parts of the rebellion. We haven't seen anything about him in here, but I think that that may have been a, a little nod to him talking about Alderaan. And so Luthen gives out his phony ID and the officers run the ID. But these officers, like all of the Empire, they're total dicks, you know? Like, Luthen really didn't do anything. <laughs> like, he didn't do anything. Um, we know Luthen is going to do something, but he hasn't done anything. Yeah. And, they're, and they're still like, oh, you know, there's this is piracy. You stand by is what you're doing. And they even talk to each other, power the tractor beam. It's an old tell- code stuff, but it checks out. Yeah, they're telling each other like, hey, you know, like we could use this as like a test run, like a little practice here. We need the practice. <laughs> we, I love that. We need the practice. So, so imperial. Yeah, we need the practice. It's like. There's a scene in Family Guy when um, they decide oh, they're going to go out for dinner. I thought about dinner. this too. Go ahead. They're, they decide they're going to go out for dinner, and Peter tells Lois, eh, I still want you to cook tonight. And, you know, we'll just throw it out. I don't you want to go out. I don't need to go out of practice. I, I always think about that all the time. It's, it's great. It's like, <laughs> I, lo- I, I love that. I love it. And she, like, Lo- Lois is like, oh, okay, great. I don't have to make dinner tonight. He goes, no, you know what, Lois? Go ahead, do everything. Do a real big, nice one. I, I don't want you to fall out of practice. It just And they say, we'll throw it away. I just, that one always gets me, always pops me. But the uh, the Fondor droid that is helping Luthen, Luthen's droid, this guy is quick. He's sharp. He lets Luthen know, hey, this is an arrestor cruiser, Cantwell class. And Luthen gets ready to make a run. So he kind of powers up. And as he's getting ready to try to make a run for it, the officers are laughing at him, Trevor. They're like, this little thing thinks he's going to be able to get away from us. Like, oh, 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 wow. So they power up their tractor beams and Luthen, you know, it's like a magnet. Luthen tries to go and they're pulling back harder on him. And he tries to go and they're pulling back. And then finally, he does the opposite. He releases a bunch of metal shards they come flying out the back and absolutely destroy this entire tractor beam. And it, the satellite dish looking thing just gets shredded. It was so badass. It was so freaking awesome. And he did it just within seconds. Like one little ship, boom, sends all these shards back. This entire huge tractor beam is blown up. They send a couple of fighters after him. And then he just disposes of them pretty quickly. All while the the empire officers are just watching this from from the bigger uh, arrestor cruiser i thought the scene was great and the face of the empire officer at the end after he just watched luthen like own them in like a minute it was awesome please sir let me scrape your jaw off the floor it was so great like, it was, he's just <laughs> tell, tell no one about this we we tell <laughs> we speak of this to no one it was great. please don't tell darth vader yeah, definitely Vader. This was I guess the it, shot where he's just standing there and like it, it's over it's over his shoulder from behind looking out the window and you see Luthen jump into hyperspace while his his uh the satellite shield tractor beam is just like continuing to fall apart. It's just like fucking the guy. He just oh that was it was like it was like a laugh out loud moment. It really was. Exactly. Like, it felt like exactly. you were watching a comedy. Like the timing of it was was just fantastic. It was so it was fun. Sweet. And then we, we get to see TIE fighters. And I was like, yeah. 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 And, and he takes them out. And he has this like crazy weapon where he's got like two lasers coming out the side of the Fondor. Okay, so that's a, is, is this guy, 
is he force sensitive or something gotta Jedi? Be. Gotta be. Luther? Because you because he had the crystal earlier well, yeah. too, right? The Kyber Maybe. crystal. And they Maybe, haven't seen, but you I wonder, like it, let's say this. I don't I'm not convinced he is, but if we do find out he is, I'm not gonna be that that shocked now after that badass like lightsabery ship that he had like i mean this this thing was pretty cool so so i think he like punches a bunch of buttons and the the cannons like flip around and shoot the guys down and we already know that the droid that's embedded in the ship is like pretty incredible yeah so i feel like the droid is helping him shoot the two tie fighters down and then the like the laser beam thing that he has that comes out the side first off completely unexpected like I figured he was just going to shoot those two th- down. And then when Me those too. doors open on the side, I was like, uh, actually, when the doors open on the side, um, what were those things called that Boba Fett has on his ship and Django Fett used that has the, like uh, the guns. coolest. No, no. The, the, it's the coolest sound effect in Star Wars history. Oh, like those Sonic like, things. The Sonic. Yes. yes. The Sonic charges. Sonic blast the, the kind of Sonic, thing, yeah. Yeah. And they make that like, and it's like a vibrate. Like, I was like, oh, are we going to get those? I thought when those the side panels opened, I thought those were going to be the the weapon that he used, and then he shoots out that laser. But like as we know from Star Wars lore, the Death Star itself, like those, the, the beam for the Death Star that, you know, blows up planets, those use kyber crystals. So that laser that he shoots out the side, that could be anything. It could be some sort of kyber crystal charged... Uh, weapon, uh, yeah. or it could just be some sort of laser, you know. But you know, bro, break, I gotta break, say, taking if, off my nerd hat. If Luthen isn't force sensitive, I think that droid definitely is. The droid is. The droid is. And I, before we move on from this, let scene, me put it just, in the wiki. Hold on. Just the the like the words from the Empire while they're watching this, and they they're just looking in the goes from a Hallcraft. As as they're just getting destroyed by this thing, and it's like it's like if I guess like if a if like a, a police officer like a highway patrol person like got owned by like a Vespa or something, right? Like a scooter, like a bird scooter. Someone someone's <laughs> out there like like renting one of these lime scooters that they're driving all around Long Beach where I am, and and the other guy, one of the other officers, says, uh, uh, "The tractor beam is tractor beacon is failing us," and the guy goes, "Yeah, I can see that." It was just. I just laughed at at all of them, like, oh crap! They were so confident, so cocky, and then it flipped so quickly. But our uh, our final scene, sad, as Cassian radios into Ferrix to talk with his friend uh, Zanwan. This is where <clears throat> you know we hear Michael Luthen and Clea talking in code. We see Mon Mothma talking with everybody in code with Davo and with. Ty and everyone's so careful and even Cassian here is trying to be careful unfortunately his buddy just I mean he is not he says Cassian is that you he's like <laughs> no names no names don't no names please don't say anything Cassian are you sure Cassian well this says, is Cassian right yeah Cass- no like so you were just saying about like your mom asking it was like this is what that was like hello Cassian is this cat this, this is what we're here and uh he says he wants to get a message to his mother, and unfortunately, that's when Zan has to let him know, Cassian, your your mother's dead. But yeah, Cassian. Cassian's mom died. Cassian. Cassian. Hey, Cassian. Your mom? Yeah. Marva. Marva, she's dead. 
Oh, I mean that that Canary uh, antique. It's yeah. It's, it's mom. It's mom's it's, antique. Uh, it broke. Got, it's yeah, broken. It's broke. It's, it's broken. a brick. It's a brick now. It's a it's a brick house. <laughs> As, oh, poor. But the line that he says, which is really sad, before he finds out she's dead, uh, Cassian tells his friend, "Tell Marva I'm thinking about her. She'd be proud of me." And I'll get back as soon as I can. Oh, unfortunately, Cass. Yeah, the gut punch. That won't that won't get said to Marva. And Cassian gets off the phone, and he comes back, and he speaks with Melshi. And Melshi asks him if everything's okay, and Cassian just says, "Yeah." He still doesn't. He still isn't completely open yet. And he he you can tell in this last scene. Does He's Melchie not think his name is still Keith at this point. I think so, right? <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a great think, question. I think so. You're right. As he's like Cassian on the phone, he's like, "Don't call me Cassian." Don't. He's like Cassian. Who the hell's Cassian? You're Keith Gergo, aren't you? <laughs> You're, that's a, that's a good point, Trevor. But what I thought was funny um, in this last part, Cassian gives Melshi a blaster, but no money, like no credits. <laughs> it's like Harry. Well, I mean, they're. they're... There, I, I thought about that, Gino, but they're wearing new clothes. You're right. He it's probably took care. Of, that's a good point. Earlier. We, I don't, I don't think that he was screwing him over here, right? Like it did seem like they were both agreeing. Hey, look, here's what we have to do. We need to go make sure everybody else knows what's happening. We need to split up, double our chances. People have to know what's going on over there because how many of us even made it out alive? Could it possibly have been just us two? So Melchi and Cassian, they split up. They say goodbye. Cassian looks off into the sunset. We got to have that Star Wars sunset look. The the traditional look off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah. This was five, five setting suns. This was Star Wars. <laughs> like the first thing that you can remember from Star Wars. This is one of them. And Michael, if you didn't know, we're going to see Melchi again. He's yeah, not gone. No, I imagine we'll see him in episode 12. We, you know sure. what? I know we're going to see him in Rogue One, but I'd imagine. What? Yeah. Hold do on. We, I, we... I got to watch it again. I'll be right back. I was, okay. Pause it. Go watch again, it. Again, guys. Now, do, again. We, do we get Melshi? This podcast has taken five hours. I know. Do we get Melshi? Do we get like maybe Kino and on some of the other prisoners? I would love to see Kino back. To show up at an episode 12 also in like this big battle? That could be. A lot of fun. Yeah, I, I'm shipping. I'm shipping. Uh, Marva and Kino. Yes, yes. <laughs> in the afterlife as bricks. Yes, yes. I completely agree. Right, Marva and Kino. So, uh, Michael, give us. You know, a bow. We we finish up episode eleven. We've got one more to come next week. You know, put a bow on this and and give us a couple of predictions heading into the uh, the season one finale. Uh, I mean, I think the manifesto is going to come into play. Um. Maybe like after this, um, you know, climactic, uh, you know, encounter on Ferrix. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Bix makes it. Um, I think Bix or Brasso, one of them is going to be toast. Um, what else do I think? Uh, I think we're going to see something. I think Trevor maybe alluded to this or maybe you, Gino. I think we're going to see something interesting from B2 Emo. And um, yeah. I don't know. I'm just I I think we're going to see uh, Cyril and uh, uh, Miro. I think they're going to smooch. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Whether or not she wants to, he might force it on her. Oh god. Right? I Could hope you not. see them like have a moment and they like look at each other and him go for the kiss and her just like oh god. You know, like, I think he was a good head. guest. 
<laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Um, and they've got it all set up now for a, a nice finale. Trevor, we've got Cassian, Deidre, Bix, Luthen, Vel, Sintra, Cyril. Looks like they're all headed to Ferrix. We don't know what's going on with Cassian's sister. So there's a lot to to cover in this season one finale. Yeah, I mean, they've they've done an excellent job of putting all the pieces in motion. Everybody's headed towards Ferrix. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens when we get when, when everybody gets there. And if we're going to see... You know, we've seen progressions, like I said earlier, of of Andor becoming that person we see in Rogue One. But like, is this where he's something's going to happen at Marva's funeral and something's going to fully push him over? Or is it going to be like a cliffhanger and he's going to be in custody when we go into season two? You know, there's there's a lot hanging out there um, just just to 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 finish up and then and then leave us on, you know, wondering what's going to happen in season two. Um, so I, I'm excited for it. It's I'm, I'm you know definitely uh, going to be a, a fun watch next week to get the last one. One and quick we... note: I looked it up. Seismic charges, and it's the coolest Star Wars sound effect. The boba there is. Yeah, the, well, it's it's Jango Fett. It's it's Jango Fett's ship. Ship. Um, that that yeah. releases the seismic charges. And here's the sound effect. Here's the sound effect. That God, reverberation. Oh it's That's such so a cool good. sound effect. You know, it's That's so good. It, it's like, you know, it's 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 coming up on winter here in uh the Midwest and uh great time for chili. And you know, when you have chili, seismic charges are gonna happen. <laughs> That's gonna say that there's a rumbling. There's a rumbling down under from those seismic charges. Trevor, you mentioned the force is strong with this one. Season season two, it starts filming this month, and next year we will have Mandalorian season three, Ahsoka, the Bad Batch, and High Republic Acolyte series. So a lot of Star Wars content. And I have been very lucky to have a couple of my buddies hanging out with me. Now next week, normally we have been doing these uh, recap reviews on Thursday. Next week, I believe, is Thanksgiving, right? So I think I can give you guys the uh, the, t- the day off there on that one. So maybe next, we'll shoot. Next, next Thursday is my birthday. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, shout out. Happy birthday, Trevor. Happy nice. early birthday to you. Um, so you're the 24th? Yes, sir. Awesome. I'm a March. I'm a 24th myself. I'm a March 24th. So uh, just uh, you're almost not, uh, like the halfway birthday point for me. And so we'll finish up maybe like Monday. Maybe we'll do like after the Thanksgiving weekend. Since we won't have another episode, I won't be quite as worried about getting it done, you know, in time wise. But as long and it'll give us a few more days to kind of reflect overall on the series and then put a nice bow on it. And then uh, we'll, if you guys are down for it, we'll we'll finish up the season one with a Rogue One, as Trevor mentioned. So I'll give Trevor some of the uh, producer credits for that one because that was uh, that was your call. Uh, on it's that what one, I Trevor. do, man. I uh, yeah. it's what I do. It's my job. Absolutely. So guys, man, it. Uh, you were hitting on this too, Trevor. I love talking about these shows with my friends because I feel like so I get so much more into the show afterwards. After sitting here, re-watching it, and then talking with you guys for an hour about a 45, an hour and 15 minutes about a 45-minute episode of TV. I just, I get so much more excited. And there's always one or two things that Michael mentions that I might have missed and that Trevor mentions that I didn't see. So I, I can't thank you guys enough for your time and uh, you know all the all the time and energy that you've given us over the last couple months. Let's finish up strong over the next couple weeks. Michael, you have a great Thanksgiving, buddy. Uh, have a nice one. Uh, enjoy yourself over there, 
And Trevor, you have a good Thanksgiving and a good birthday with the families. And all of you out there, there are so many great TV shows, movies, streaming services, sports, different podcasts. I am so happy and grateful and thankful anytime you guys take a a minute out and come hang out with us here on That's What G Said. And we have had some of the biggest weeks we've ever had right now um, coming off the last couple of weeks where we had a lot of people uh, listening in for Breeders' Cup. And those listener numbers have now gone really, really nice to some of the old shows. A lot of people have gone back and listened to our recaps of Andor. And so anyone that's new and that's joining us, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back next week for the finale. And anytime there's some new Star Wars content, you can bet we'll be talking about it right here on That's What G Said Podcast. And that's going to do it for this episode. So we will have a a full edition of This Week in Wrestling next week where we'll get into everything that happened on the AEW pay-per-view and then we'll preview Survivor Series War Games. We'll probably have that a little bit early because next week is Thanksgiving so that'll probably end up being uh, like Tuesday or Wednesday when we uh, when we drop that one. And big thanks to Trevor and Michael. One more episode of Andor to come. Look forward to putting a bow on episode 12 and season 1 of Andor Next week, we'll probably again with Thanksgiving and the holiday, that'll probably be a few days following. And if you need any help with college football for this weekend, head on over to Better Than Vegas and give them a follow at BTV Bets on Twitter. Check out the live show that we have 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, and you can check it out immediately following that. Good luck with all your plays this weekend, folks. We'll be back with a lot more next week.